The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Well, hey, man, it's a pleasure to meet you. Hey, good to meet you. Are we starting? Yeah, we're rolling, man. <laughs> I like it. No messing around. No messing around. I found out about your documentary from my friend Cam Haynes. He's the one who told me about it. Uh, he, uh, he texted me and he said, it's fucking incredible. And Cam is... Uh, he does a lot of uh, ultra marathons, and he does like those 240 mile runs, those kind wow. of things. So he's one of those guys that like he appreciates someone doing something completely insane, and so he he turned me on to it. He had glowing recommendations, so I had to I had to check it out. It's it's incredible what you did. The doc, the documentary is insane. Well, I must say, thanks, Cam. First thing yeah. first, and here we are, and. Uh, did you did you enjoy the film? I did. I enjoyed it very much. It's uh, it's incredibly impressive, and um, when you know you just came here from England, right? Is that what you're telling yeah, me? So you, you were explaining to me like why why you're in England. Yeah. So um, there is a big thing called the Gurkhas. Um, going back into two hundred six years ago, um, the British when they were trying to run over the world, take over the world. The British Empire was in India, and uh, when they were in India, they were trying to take over Nepal as well because it's a neighboring country. Um, but you know they didn't have a luck; they didn't have a chance. So, at that point, what did the British government said was, "Hey, you know, we'll not attack Nepal anymore, but you know what? Is there any chance we can have you know all these you know you know brave guys you know fighting for us?" And at that point. Um, the prime minister, the, the the government of Nepal were really, you know, sick of you know this heavy force coming with the artilleries, you know, the big guns and and attacking. So they were like, you know what? Yeah, we're happy. So so they made some sort of a truce. Yeah. And so then yeah. Nepal joined in with England. Yes. Yes. Mm, so now it's two hundred six years, and it's a big thing for us. So I grew up dreaming to be a Gurkha. So that was my like childhood dream. And uh, just to give an example, Joe, um, when I joined for the Gurkha, when I went for the selection, there were like 32,000 people applying for it. Wow. And only 230 can make it. So you can, you can do the ratio, how tough it is. And, uh, but yeah, you know what? A lot of people say like Nims, you know, you know, you are here and you know, you are successful and all that. But you know, my my success is is not a coincidence. Going back where I was, in you know, specifically, you know, coming from really humbling background. Hey, forget everything. We didn't even have like flip flops. You know, forget the the food. We didn't even had like to eat meat. We had to wait for like a big festival like Christmas. So coming from that super poverty to to where I am, you know, sometimes people say, "Oh, yeah, Nims is this and that." You know, well, it took me thirty eight years to be to be where I am. Yeah, people in America that aren't aware of the real poverty in the world and, and you know, the, the what people like to call the 1%. People always yeah. like to use that term. But in America, the 1%, we think of like very, very wealthy people. If you look at the 1% of the world, if you make $34,000, you're in the top 1% of the world, wow. which is incredible. I mean, it's it's a very small amount of money. It's all, It's almost like what is one percent in America? What is thirty-four thousand dollars in America technically? Is that is it lower middle class? Is it lower class? Like, I mean, you're 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 struggling. 
Yes. You're struggling in America if you make $34,000 wow, a year. But that is that is quite a lot of money for like, you know, like for the rest of the world. country and, yeah. and like Nepal yeah. specifically. Yeah, so I was uh, going back to this story so if if my if may I finish yeah, please, it. Yeah. So you know, what I believe in is making things happen. There's no excuses, right? So my two brothers were, you know, in the Gurkhas and once they joined the Gurkhas, they were like, "You know what?" I want my sister and my brother to go to the boarding school. So they sent us to boarding school. Um, and my brothers are like my father. Like my elder brother is 18 and a half year older than me. So, wow. So in this school, like we are not allowed to leave the compound. Uh, but I really wanted to be like in the Gurkha. So when I was like, you know, 15, 16 year old, I used to wake up at one o'clock at night. And I used to go like, you know, without permission, I used to run 30 kilometers in the morning before like anybody finds out. And I come and, and pretend like I'm waking from my bed and, and I still, you know, walk with a toothbrush and toothpaste, pretending I have never left the compound. But I had to make it work because I knew that the selection is so tough, you know. And how old were you when you were doing this? I was, I was 16. I started when I was 15, so a year of training And so like you that. just had it in your head, like, listen, I'm going to be in a Gurkha. I'm going to yeah. be a Gurkha. I have to get in crazy shape, so yeah. I'm going to work out when no one knows. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, if, if the teacher would find out that I have left the compound, mate, they, in Nepal, they beat, like, you know, they beat the hell out of you, so. Really? Yeah, And yeah. D- was there any other way that you could train? Is there any... Look, not really, because, you know, you start your, like, you know, school, um, it, it, like, if you, if you stay in the hostel, you know, from 7 o'clock in the morning, and you have to have your presence over there, and then you finish around 4 o'clock in the evening. So it's, it's really tight schedule. You study about 14 different subjects. So, yeah, there wasn't really way, and many of my friends wouldn't know, and many of my friends wouldn't probably do that, but I knew that I had to extra and I had to break that rules and that normal rules and regulation of school to achieve my goal and uh, yeah in 2003 um, I managed to join the Gurkhas um, and from there like the story goes on Wow yeah. so that was 2003 and that's documented also in the film where yeah. you were you your rifle got hit with a bullet yeah so I'll tell you that story so in 2003 um, I was in the Gurkha because then, you know, coming from Nepal, we, we never know about the special forces, you know. So I joined in the, in the Gurkha and then we started hearing about names, you know. There's like, you know, a thing called, you know, UK special forces like SAS and SBS. So SAS is equivalent to Delta in U.S. military. SBS is uh, equivalent to SEAL Team 6. Mm. Um, in in U.S. military, so, and then they were saying, you know what, these guys are like the badass. They are like the real James Bond, and I was like hearing, I was like, and at that point, honestly, I didn't even know what real James Bond was. Mm. <laughs> so I started obviously looking more into it, doing more research, and wow. And then I found about you know the the, the special boat service, which is uh, I mentioned, you know, like equivalent to your SEAL Team Six. So they operate from air, water, in underwater, and land. Everything. So I was like, yes, I want to be part of that cool group. And when I first talk about it, um, you know, all my friends, including my seniors, including captains, and even some of the the senior rank that I look up to, like, you know, where I was like, you know what? 
I want to be like those guys, you know, some, some in- inspiring figures. And they were saying, Nims, it's impossible because no one has ever made this, you know, in, in the history of the Gurkhas. And I was like, really? And, and I said to them, look, you know, it's possible. And they were like, and they started making joke out of me. Then it comes to a certain point where, like, you don't talk about it anymore. You start doing things. So, and I will tell you this training regime, um, Joe. I used to wake up at one o'clock in the morning. What time did you go to bed? I'll tell you now, mate. So one <laughs> o'clock I wake up in the morning. Then I carry 75 you know, pounds in my back and I run 20 kilometers. With 75 pounds on your back, you were running? Running 20, 20 kilometers. Then I arrive at the military barracks. Then I start my normal military running. That could be, you know, eight-miler run or, you know, hustle training or whatever that military, you know, physical training is. I do that. Then, because I was with the engineers, that means, you know, I was on um, this, you know, kind of like building any structure finisher. So the whole day we're like, you know, plastering the wall and doing that. So it's full-on labor work. And in the evening, I run that 20 kilometers back again, clean fatigue. So clean fatigue means no bargain, but I run that distance back again to my house. Quick foot, I go to the gym, to the gym, and then I cycle 64 kilometers on the push bike. This is one day? One day. And then, and then, you know, look, coming from Nepal, it's a landlocked country. I had never swim. Swimming is my, like, weakest thing. And I front crawl swim, 100 len in 25-meter pool. And I did like that for six months, six days. I never said, oh, today, you know, it's raining. I never said, today, I'm tired. I never said, today, you know, there's a snow outside. Never. And it was like that. Where did you get that kind of determination? Where do you think that came from? Man, you know, I, I truly believe that to break this barrier of, you know, a Gurkha, you know, to, to get into, I knew that. I have to put more. And you know what? The only big thing the, the friends were saying was like, names, you know, it's not only about physical. You need to have, you know, a great sense of humor. You need to have, you know, common sense and all that. So I was like, okay. Then I start looking into English sense of humor. All right. And I was like, you know, so when you go on the selection, they will just like the, the instructor, the DS, we call it, directing staff would call it, hey, come here. Fucking tell me a joke. And... The Nepalese joke is completely different to English sense of humor. So every day I, I used to prepare different jokes. And I used to go in front and I used to say like different jokes. And, and this is how much I was prepared. And this is how much I was, I was willing to give. And yeah, in, um, in 200 years of history, I became the first Gurkha ever to pass the selection for SBS. That's amazing. But what, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is like, when did you develop this kind of discipline and determination? Is this something that you had from the time when you were a boy? Do you know where this comes from? It was very unusual. For the, what you're saying sounds so crazy. I know you did it mm-hmm. because I know you climbed the 14 peaks. I know you did it. Yeah. By the way, that's the name of the documentary. It's on Netflix. It's amazing. I can't, I can't recommend it enough. It's really excellent. But... Where did you get that kind of discipline and determination? You know what, Joe? Um, I don't think it's a discipline. It's a self-discipline. And that's what it required to be where I am today. But that is discipline. That's what I'm saying. I mean, No, no. What I mean by that is, you know, like, yes, I, I, I like that you have to be disciplined. Right. That's, for example, you know... If your parents is waking you up at six o'clock, you still wake up. If you're in the in the ring or if you're training, you go and you still train, but your coach is there and all that. 
that's not good enough. You know, what I mean by self-discipline and equally with that, the self-motivation thing that I really believe was key in my part is being able to wake up when no one is looking at me, when no one is waking me up. Right. Being able to go and train when no one is looking at me. You know, so mm-hmm. the self-motivation and that self-discipline is is where I really started looking into and believing that, Nims, if you really want to do something in terms of breaking the, the boundaries and in terms of reaching your full potential, you have to be different. And I start, you know, kind of you know, planting that into my brain and and this is how, you know, I have been where I am today. So you just sort of willed yourself into the state of discipline, knowing that if you were going to achieve great things, you had to be able to work when no one was looking. Exactly, exactly. And so you just learned this as a boy? You figured this out as a young man? I think it was a a kind of a development as a kid. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Gurkha, then, then obviously I... I that wasn't the the same level of training as I, as I did for when I went for the special forces selection. But it's a like build up as I grow up through the age, and then and and I think it's that dream to be able to see yourself in that career stage. So when I was in the Gurkha, I just dreamed to be. When I was a kid, I want I wanted to be a Gurkha. Then when I was a Gurkha, I wanted to be that special forces. And you know what, Joe? I never used to drink anything until I was 25 years old. I was that much, I was that much, you know, I would say ambitious and, and motivated. So when I passed the selection for SBS, I was like, you know what? This is the biggest thing I could do in my life. I'm, I'm a military guy and I'm gonna drink. And then obviously it went obviously different. I'm not alcoholic though. <laughs> so you started becoming a drinker after that? <laughs> well, I started obviously, you know, celebrating differently and, and enjoying and all that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, as you've seen on that Mina movie on K2 and yes. all that, I think which we will come a bit later on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any role models or anyone that you looked up to that was also disciplined when you were younger that you drew strength from? Joe, look, uh, I came from this background where we didn't even have a TV. You know, what we read in the book is, is limited text, and it's all like, you know, governmental text and you know, stuff so but as I grew older as I joined you know the Gurkhas then then special forces there were like really two people who who I look up to and uh, the one was Muhammad Ali and the second was Bruce Lee and then, <laughs> then awesome. them two people that's awesome um, and and I look and a lot of people say in Nims you went into the mountaineering you know who inspire you and I was like no one because you know, I didn't even thought I would go and climb until I was 30-year-old. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were young and you were running, when you were 16 years old, you'd get up at 1 o'clock in the morning. That was all just self-motivation. 100%. You didn't know anybody that was like you that did no. anything like that. That's amazing. I just wanted to fulfill my dream to be, to be a Gurkha. Yeah. And I think that was, that was my motivation then. That is, it's incredible. It's incredible that you had that much discipline early on. And when I'm hearing about you running with 75 pounds on your back, all I'm thinking is like, how did you not destroy your knees? Mate, there's only one superhuman. That's right, he's standing for you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot I, I, of weight I really don't to know. run I think, 20 kilometers with. I think what it got me or what it balanced the whole thing was my swimming element. Mm. Because I used to swim, right? And then even though my training was super intense and it's like, you know, 
the the, the gravity, the fixing part. But mm-hmm. unknowingly, I was doing you know hundred laps, and I think because you know that is more for like flexibility and all those stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that just happened naturally. Mm. Well, wow, it's 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 incredible. So when did you decide that you were gonna do this fourteen peaks thing and then film this? And okay. like, what was what was the moment where this idea came into your head? So, Jude, obviously, you got you asked me two questions. Let me break down. So, two thousand nineteen. Um, at this point, I served with the UK Special Forces for ten years. I've been around the world. I have obviously done some crazy shit, you know, that, you know, people wouldn't probably see on the movies and all that. So what happened in 2019 was I found the purpose. And uh, look, just to just to even put things into perspective, at this point, I had served 16 years in the British military. I had only six years left to get the full pension. So, you know, so if you look from the the financial perspective, you know, I'm really there to get the full pension. But then I got this idea, like the, the 14 picks. So why I'm doing this? So I had two purposes. The first one was, look, doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, whatever that is, you can literally show the world nothing is impossible, no excuses. And the second one was, look, the Nepalese climbing community, the Sherpas, are the king of a thousanders, but we never had the right, you know, like credits. And I wanted to raise the name of the Nepalese climbers. And those two purposes gave me the strength. So what happened after that was straight away I went to the HR, I put my resignation, and people went mental. They were like, you know, my brother specifically, like, names. You know what? You're so selfish. Because at this point, I used to send, you know, a chunk of my salary every month to my mom and dad. I really believe that in our parents, you know, they look after us when we're like kids and vulnerable. And as a give back to them, when they get older, they're also invulnerable. They cannot work and all that. So I was always, you know, like sending them money. So when I, when I decided about this project... And when I put the resignation, I know that there's no money going to them. My brother went really mental. It's like, Nims, you know, you are the, the most strongest financial contributor in our family. And you know what? None of the Gurkhas have ever been there. You should, you should complete your career. And I was like, no, brother. And, and we didn't talk for three months. Me and my brother, and he's like my father. He's the one who sent me to boarding school. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slow you down here. So you had this idea, and because of this idea, you decided to resign? Yeah. And this idea of climbing the 14 peaks, when, when it first came into your head, what was your goal? It was just to elevate the Nepalese climbers? Was it to raise money? Was it to raise awareness? No. So it was, again, literally... To show the world that nothing is impossible, there's no excuses. But that's uh, I so, wanted. But to, that's not a career, right? So you're not quitting. You're yeah. quitting your career to 100%. show the world that nothing is impossible. I I didn't only quit my career, uh, my brother. I put everything on the line, and and I'll go in details what I mean by that. So I resigned, <clears throat> and uh, it was really tough. Um, look. 
I came from this completely different role, special forces background. I had never experience of doing the fundraising. And when I first started talking about the project, people were like, NIMS, it's not possible. So for those people who doesn't understand what I was trying to do was, so there are 14 mountains in the world above 8,000 meters. And 8,000 meters is, is the death zone peak. And the fastest someone... 8, 000, excuse me, 8,000 meters is what? It's a, it's a death zone. It's death zone. So the reason why it's called death zone is from that altitude, nobody can survive. The human body is literally dying. So that's why it's called the death zone peak, because all those 14 are above 8,000 meters. So you can only be up there for a very small amount very, of time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the fastest time was a week sort of eight years. To be precise, it was seven years, 11 months, and 14 days. And the guy who tried to break that record broke it only by one week. Mm. So that was, that was that. And then I said, I will do that in seven months. And people were like, no, it's impossible. Again, uh, you know, those guys who are listening, just to put this into simple perspective. So if the record for full marathon is now two hours, what I was saying there then was, I'm going to do that in 10 minutes. And that's why nobody believed in. And, and Joey was crazy. You know, I used to wake up at like 4 o'clock, write the email, take early train to London, meet all those in the entrepreneurs, in the corporate organization, peace them, repeat the same thing, come back home, quick food. Then I write again in the follow-up email, hey, nice to meet you today, and, you know, follow-up email. Let me stop you there. Hold on. So you have this idea. You don't have any experience in filmmaking. You don't have Nothing. any experience in the media. You have no experience in doing anything in the public eye. No. Everything no. you've done has been just Undercover. grinding as a Gurkha, grinding as a, a special forces operator. This is what you're doing. And yeah. then you just decide, I'm going to do this and I want to make a movie about it. Yeah. So yeah. Who do you contact? How do you even so, start that process? Yeah, so it was it was tough. So the first thing was to get the money to, to go and climb. So how did you even know how much money you needed? Um, so you know the high altitude mountaineering is is quite expensive. Let's say even right. if somebody want to do this, the whole fourteen peaks, um, it will roughly cost around two millions. Two million dollars. Two million dollars. And because I was going as a very like bare minimum, because I don't need that much support. You know, I put roughly under a million margin. And you know what, brother? Nothing. The, there was no funding after one year of like going everywhere. And then what I did, the first thing was. When you say go everywhere, like how do you even start? You know, like uh, I don't have any experience in I, that. So I don't know who would I contact to, to fund a giant project where I'm going to climb 14 peaks. I'll just give you this example. So. One of the examples was, you know, I wrote a handwritten letter to, um, who is the owner of Virgin? I Google it. Ah, Richard Branson. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I, had, I write that in a very long letter, full handwritten, and I, I cover that and put, the, put those in a stamp so that, you know, it will you know, <laughs> you know, get his attention and, and nothing came. So I was just going after everything, anything from outdoor companies, outdoor and clothing. And this is already after you'd already quit your job. I have already quit. So I have already made the decision. And that's why it was so stressful because now 
all my family are suffering because of my decision. My poor wife, she was like, you know, and my for the first time, you know, like I had to suffer through this kind of, you know, like the stress. Look, mate, you know, I have I have done HR, I have been deployed all over the world, I have operated in very like that that split seconds kind of, you know, like environment where your decision has to be like bombers, and and that doesn't stress me out. But here it was mental. Made my eyes. How were you making a living? This was like that. How were no. you making money? So at this point, we di- we didn't have money. So you had no what, money. No, so we, how were you eating? How were you paying your rent? So whatever we had, a bit of saving, and all that, it was there. So you were um, burning through your savings yeah, while trying yeah. to achieve this goal. Yeah, yeah. And so, what was the first thing that hit that let you know that this is possible? Because what, I, I believed in it. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. What was the first thing where, where someone said yes? Where someone said, I'll give you money? No. So what happened was the, the funding was really, really struggling. And what I did was, you know what? People don't believe it because, of course, in their eyes, you know, like what even Red Bull says, it's like swimming to the moon. You know, so even mm-hmm. when they say things like that, so of course, you know, people were like, Oh, it's it's too much stuff. Then what I did was I remortgaged my house and put every money I can put into this project. And that was like only like less than, I would say, 7% of the whole funding. And this is before anybody's contributed. Yeah, yeah. So you have no investors. Nothing. You don't even have Netflix. Forget Netflix. And I'll come into that story later on, brother. So at this point... And eventually I started doing GoFunding. I had like no social media. So in March 2019, when I resigned from the Special Forces, I had no idea, but I didn't even have Facebook, Instagram, anything. Nothing. Nothing. So I had to learn how to do this, all this hashtag and everything, mate. It would it will drive me nuts. Do you do all your social media? Now it's still, yes. So you reached out to me from yeah. social media. That's actually you. Okay. Yeah. Because I yeah. never know. <laughs> no, I'm like, this might that be was, some. That was me. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> I never yeah. know because I, yeah. I think it might be some <laughs> assistant some somewhere, team. No. a PR team. Yeah. I, I have a team now, but I still I still you know, do my thing because then for it's, you. It's, it's authentic. I right? do too. I do, it's, I it's do my thing too. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So going back into that one, Joe, what I really believed in was, okay people doesn't believe now but if I start climbing this mountain in the manner and in the style that I said I would do it it's gonna be possible so I took the flight to Nepal with 15% of the funding then there were a bit of like in you know, a small like you know um, I would say sponsorship came in a few money from GoFundMe and at that point when I fly to Nepal I had 15% of the total funding so the first mountain I choose was Annapurna so in Annapurna is like where every four climbers who try to climb, three dies trying. So that was my first mountain. And you know what? This was the first time ever in the history of my Hold life. Hold on. You said every four climbers, three die? Yeah. Isn't it every four climbers, one die? No, that's not on Annapurna. This is that's, uh, really? that's on K2. This is Annapurna. That's every K2. Yeah. So most people die. Yeah. Jesus. So this is like so that's your first one. First one. And this mountain. So I guess if you were going to die, you're going to die quick. <laughs> let's, let's just get it over with. <laughs> that's so nuts. Yeah. What Now, what are they dying from? Are they dying from? From avalanches. It's the mountain oh, where Jesus. you see like, you know, like avalanches crumbling every like, you know. Every. Minutes. That is so crazy. Every four climbers, three die. Yeah. That sounds so insane. <laughs> 
My, that's that's crazy that mountain and uh, Jamie's looking it yeah. up right now. He's freaking out too. <laughs> no one's quicker at looking shit up than Jamie, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? This mountain, you know, the the big thing. What I was trying to say, Joe, was how do you spell that mountain? It's Annapurna. 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 Yes. So uh, how many people have climbed it? All told, I'm not gonna lie. I have no clue. Here it goes. Thirty-two percent. There have been fewer than 200 summits of the mountain, and 61 people have lost their lives. So it's not quite that much. No, you know what? Because <coughs> I changed that statistics in 2019. When I went there and set the fixed lines with my team, more than, I think, 50 people summited in 2019. Right, but here's the stat. Every three people who reach the top, one person dies. So you got it reversed. That makes more sense. Okay. It's close. I think, it's I still, think that's, but you know what? In still last, very, very dangerous. In last it's two, not like it's less impressive. Okay, you know what, Joe? I'm not going to argue on that. But in last it's two fucking years, Jamie. He's a wizard, I'm, I'm telling you. In, in, in last two years, um, I think there are around 80 summits. I'm, I can't believe before. there's one. But anyway. What the fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> Stay home. <laughs> so that 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 is insane, though, that that many people die. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Annapurna is... is and you know what? This was... Probably the first time in my history where I was out of my shape because every energy I had was on the computers writing email and I was oh you're out of shape as you see on the movie um, I was ten kg heavier I hadn't trained at all mm. and I was like you know well, what you have an insane cardio that's one of the things from the movie that was so evident you have very very unusual cardio. Um, do you think that some of that is uh, uh, you just gifted? Or do you think that's think, from the training that you had when you were a young boy? Do you think you just like made yourself have insane cardio from those runs you did when you were 16 years old? Because when they were doing that VO2 max test on you, yeah. that's insane, man. I mean, yeah. your, your cardio is like elite of the elite. Yeah. I think it's, it's that muscle memory, you know, where I have been, I have been training, you know, since I was a kid and, yeah. and, you know, like nonstop. And obviously, which, you know, we discussed earlier. I think that's what what it it made me who I am today, um, you know, the hard work, the, the training and training and training. Um, but Joe, you know, like a lot of people think probably, you know, like, oh yeah, Nims is from Nepal, he's from the mountains and, and he climbed all this peak. You know, I grew up in the most flat and the hottest <laughs> part of Nepal. How flat is it? What's Mate, the altitude it's, it's there? It's like almost like, you know, sea level and it is like it's probably sea level? 40, 45 degrees hot oh. Celsius. Oh, that's very hot. That's very hot. Man. Even the flies would die on the road. Yeah, what is 45 <laughs> degrees Celsius? That's like 100. Google it, buddy. <laughs> I want to say that's like 110. Is it yeah. higher? Yeah, 113. 113? It's oh my crazy, God. mate. And it's that hot. Sometimes, you know, those And it's uh, like sea leaves. level. Do, do, one of the things that they were saying about the Sherpas is that they're so adapted to that that area the that environment, yeah. yeah that to it's literally changed their genetics there's this um they did yeah. this study on some of the sherpas that assist the people on mount everest in particular mm -hmm. and they said that they're so extraordinary that um they were studying them they're saying that it's literally had an effect on their dna like yeah. do, living there and and doing that and that this expression of being in that place being in mm -hmm. that environment has just made them just incredible specimens. Yeah, I think that's, you know, yeah, that makes sense because yeah. you know, it's like you, you're adapting, right? The yes. human beings, you know, we, we have been able to survive since, 
in our existence and it's pretty incredible uh, and then really dinosaurs haven't it. done because they can adapt and if you live on that altitude yes that's correct i think the dinosaurs probably were adapting <laughs> but a lot of other shit went down <laughs> i don't think it's like the dinosaurs were lazy they didn't train hard enough <laughs> i think there was like a big rock that had something to do with that but but it's still extraordinary that you know like there was this thing about these uh, sherpas where they were able to do things with no oxygen that where the people that had tried to go there that's like there's so much recreational climbing particularly in Everest Mm -hmm. and you documented that in that crazy photo we actually showed that photo the other day on the podcast yeah where it shows you in this insane line of people trying to get to the top it seems like that had to be the weirdest of the climbs. Was that the weirdest one? Can I can I tell you something, Joe? I think I did even like send you a message in anger, like Joe, you have posted my picture without credits. That was a long time ago. And you were like, sorry, bro, it was from New York. And I was like, yeah, but you know. So It was from the New York Times. Yeah, yeah, New York yeah. Times. And you know what? So the, there's one credit. Or there's one photo <laughs> rather. That's like what? that is crazy that so they the, do it that way. Like how many people is that? It looks like a hundred people. Yeah. So the one that I took Look at is, that one is right the there. other one on the right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that we showed. Like yes, that like picture. That how many how many humans is that? So I think probably around I would say hundred plus. 100. So if one of those guys falls, does everybody go like a pile of dominoes? Well, if, that's not good, right? Well, the thing is, nobody gonna fall. Nobody. Listen, yeah. people fall. Joe, Joe, can can I can I put things into this um, things into perspective? And Please I do. think it's my chance to correct this story. Okay. So, you know, when that picture came out, I heard a lot of negativity around the world. And you know what? The human beings we are so so negative. And I think even in the work space nowadays, specifically because of that picture, if some of the work colleagues summit Everest will say, oh, now you know what, Everest is like, you know, every tourist go and summit. But let me give you this example, everyone who's listening to this, um, you know, podcast. There are more than 2,000 people running London Marathon. But just because that number is high, will that marathon be easy? No. So... It's still is Everest. It's still tough. Now, moving into this specific story, what happened was 2019, it was unfortunately only one day where we had the good weather. So there was a window of opportunity that yes, everybody had to capitalize on. Everybody had on. to go. And, and look, you know, imagine. So that's unusual, is what you're that's saying. That's very unusual. So imagine, like, if you're on, on Everest Base Camp, you know, staying at you know, 5,400 meters altitude for two months. And and you have to train to be able to be to go and summit, as in like the, the acclimatization. So you have to go to camp one, you sleep. You have to go to camp two, you sleep. Toss camp three, get back down. And, and that takes five weeks. Yeah. And then now you wait for the summit weather window. And if there's like one summit opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, look, not every people who go on Everest are rich. You know, people sometimes, you know, put whole of their saving into, into Everest because it's a, it's a very expensive, you know, expedition. People take loan like what I did in 2016. So people want to get, you know, get that opportunity. And that's why it was particularly in 2019 that happened. But nobody really died of that. But obviously the big newspaper wanted to sell their headlines. So they were saying, oh, all this and that. Uh, all this and that. But that photo is crazy. It is. I mean, if if you're uh, just a that. person looking at that, I know you took it. We talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look oh, at that I photo, do. I mean, that's an insane image. <clears throat> yeah. There it is, New York Times. 
2019 May. So when when you were there and you took that photo, you had to know that that's incredibly unusual, right? So what was the negativity? People were saying that too many people are going too to Everest. Too many people on Everest and, you know, like all but that's this been, stuff. Th- that criticism has existed for years, because, particularly because of the human feces that's left up there. Yes. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of human mm-hmm. waste that's In, left up on the mountain. Yeah. Along with bodies, right? They leave the bodies up there, which is kind of yeah. crazy. So I had to a that bit about note, that back in the day. <laughs> to that note, Zoe, um, I have announced the Big Mountain Cleanup Project. Um, so we cleaned Manaslu uh, last year in September. It's a thousand meter peak. This year, we're gonna go and clean all the rubbish from Gampo, which is at the death zone. It's at mm. a thousand meters. So there are loads of rubbish. Um, so you're I, gonna go to clean the rubbish at the death zone. Yeah. How much time can you spend at the death zone before you, you know, die? Mate, for me, I can I can live there too. You can live there. Yeah, it's Nimstai. <laughs> <laughs> So most people, forget yeah, about you, Superman, yeah. but most people, how much time can they spend at the dead zone? So it all depends. Um, sometime, you know, people people literally die because if they haven't climatized properly, but you can't really live there, Joe. You know, you, right. you, you, you are literally dying and it's, you have to see, like, for example, the dead zone, how I can, I can explain to everybody is like, it's like you're drowning in the sea. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's right. in in survival situation, right? But some of us who can, who can outperform that, you can you know, swim longer. We can we can see like you know like, I can, as soon as I get there, I can see okay he's he's in his like you know in his limit, mm-hmm. he's in our limit, that people. So I can see from that big, overarching umbrella point of view, and uh, yeah, because it's it's the element. It's like really thin air um well you talked about it in the in the film where you got uh there's cerebral edema from being at altitude yeah and you were uh, you were having hallucinations yeah. and that so that's what starts the, is that what starts the the process of people dying is that like the beginning stages of it yeah so i think that's a bit later is this so how it happens is so the one that you talk about is we call it HES. That's high altitude cerebral edema. Yeah. So that means you know you develop a fluid in your brain, um, and then after that, you know, of course, you know the brain doesn't work properly. So how long does it take for you to recover from that? You have to go down as quickly as possible. The faster While you're you get alive. down, yeah. Right. The faster you go down, there's more chances of survival, and the only cure for that is to go down. Mm. Yes. And so is it just a, a, f- a factor of how much time you spent at that high altitude? Is that what gave you haze? Yes. And then, so and, you were and just for up my there story, too long. For my story, it was different, because on Annapurna, we had summited. We got back down, and we were supposed to go and climb Daulagri, so the second mountain on my list. The weather was perfect. I was meant to go there, but then I called this, this message saying, Hey, Nims, Dr. Chin is live above camp four. So I was, say, say that again? So Dr. Chin, he was he was he was you know There was a guy that was stuck up. There was up a guy there. who was stuck right, up. Right. And that's in the film. That's in the film. So yeah. look, I have never left anyone behind in, in my career in the special forces and in the Gurkhas. And I know for this project I had I had put everything down on the line. But I knew that, you know, I was in my ability to go and save him. So I put again I I put whole of my mission into Ricks again. So me and my team went, we, we rescued him, and we took him to the hospital. But because of that, we missed the good weather in Dhaulagri. So normally I climb one 8,000-meter peak in 18 hours. 
The whole library, it took us five days, non-stop. We didn't sleep at all. We're like keep pushing, and then you can see on the on the, on the film as well. The weather was terrible, and uh, and after the summit of Dao Lagri, we got back to Kathmandu, and there was one Chinese like billionaire who said, "Nims, I might go and climb Kanchenjunga, which is my third mountain." So he was like, "Would you guide me?" And I was like, "Okay," because we didn't have the money. Can so. I stop you because we're going too far? I want to go back to Hayes. Yeah, this, so, so I'm going to tell you okay, that. So, okay. so he said like, "Okay, can I? Can you guide me?" And I was like. Okay, so we didn't have the money. So I said, okay, I, I can guide you. So, you know, obviously, my, all my Chinese friends, they started bringing this, you know, drinks, and we, we parted till 6 o'clock. Now, day five plus, I haven't slept. At 6 o'clock, he bailed out. So then I'm going into this Kanchenjunga. So he decided not to <coughs> climb? Not to go. So I had to go anyway. So I, he was drinking with you? Yeah, yeah, I was drinking. And so, you know, fully hungover, I went to, to the airport, and I had to go to Kanchenjunga. And we climbed Kanchenjunga. That was probably one of the was one of the craziest. You know, it was so cold, like so sleepy. We used to put snow in our armpit, you know, slap ourselves, all that. So to get into a point, so I haven't slept for six days. Summited, got back down, and at eight thousand four hundred fifty meters, we found a climber. He was out of his oxygen. So I got my oxygen out, and I give him immediately the oxygen. So I'm now out of oxygen. Okay. So just to put into into the science here, normally you climb without oxygen when you are acclimatized. I was never acclimatized to that altitude. So let's say on Everest or even in K2, you have to sleep at Campo without oxygen so that your body is acclimatized, you are building more red blood cells. I right. didn't have done that. So giving my oxygen, I knew that I could do it, but I knew it was a very, very high risk. So I gave him my oxygen and we started bringing him down. Then another 100 meter down, we found another guy. Oh, Jesus. So we started bringing these two people down. And then there were people at Campo, more than I think 60 people at Campo, who, who went to like summit push, like going from Camp 1, they sleep, Camp 2, they sleep, Camp 3, they sleep, Camp 4, they sleep, summit, and then back to Camp 4. And, and they were not in the situation like us at all. You know, our, our, our story is completely different. It's like fast track. We haven't slept for six days and all that. So... I, w I went onto the radio and I, I begged for help. Is there any chance can somebody bring us the oxygen? And nobody came, man. And, and it came to all that point where people started turning their radio off. And They just uh, let you die up there. Yeah. And they, then, is that just because it's so dangerous uh, yeah, that they and, weren't willing to risk their lives? Yeah, yeah. So, and then I could get it. Look, I, I'm not here to blame anybody, but you know, um, a lot of people say, you know, like, yeah, they're badass and all that. They can talk in the social media, but they all were at Campo. You know, they were earlier, they were well-rested, and, and they could come and help in, in, in another sense. How but far nobody. was the trek to get to you? So, to come up with oxygen, um, I would say three hours. That's it? Three hours with oxygen, yes. And they wouldn't do it? Nobody would come. And mate, Did you talk crazy. to them when you came down? Oh, mate, we, nah. You know, and it, Fuck this, you, right? <clears throat> Yeah, it was mental. So at that point, what happened was one of my, my brother, uh, Gisman Tamang, uh, team member Sherpa, he started getting frostbite. Oh, so shit. I had to send him down. So now it's me and Mi'kmaq David. How do you tell when someone's getting frostbite? But it's so cold that you, know, you can't even like, feel your toes, right? So I had to send him down because otherwise I was going to have more casualty. Then right. Mi'kmaq David, who is my right-hand man, is like Nim's brother, you know, I think I'm having haste as well. I cannot even like think properly. And I was like, fuck. 
So I sent him back down. So now it's me and then these two guys. So we're like bringing him down and then literally. Are, they, are these two guys mobile? Can they walk? No, we're dragging them, brother. Oh. So one of the guy, before I sent Mi'kma, he died in our arms. The oxygen finished. Literally 15 minutes later, he died. And that was terrible because we put so much energy in Rick's our life to bring him down and, and he passed away. And He passed away and then here's arms, you, yeah. no oxygen. No oxygen for like almost now 11 hours. Oh, and, then, and then now I got this guy and this is when, you know, like I started seeing things like you know like you know in in the book beyond mm -hmm. possible i have mentioned like you know i thought it was yeti yeah so i was really scared so i was doing that like you know still still trying to function come on nims you know so i was looking for my even exit route how can i i run away if he comes in attack yeah. and all that so that's like you know so you really thought it was a yeti yeah yeah i was very scared i was like you know I have did you see, what did you see when you were hallucinating mate it was like a big you know like Giant hairy thing. like thing, you know, like where you imagine, right? You know. Do you think that that's what the Yeti is? That it's people with high altitude sickness and they see these things? <laughs> I, I really don't I, I can't comment for others, but. But doesn't that make sense? Because you saw it and you had high altitude sickness. Yeah, yeah. So that was crazy, man. And uh, yeah, eventually now getting into your question, did I speak to anybody? No. I had enough with those people. Right. I got to base camp. Uh, out of four people, we helped to to survive on that day, and I went to Everest to. So two to survived go. and two died. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. So, but you're still determined to do this. Yeah, and then, yeah, I went to Everest, and then. Did you ever think of doing it with like less people, so that you don't have to be involved with other people that could trip you up like that? But you can't stop people going on the mountain, right? So it's there's the nature. No, right, there's no time. No where you timing, just... nothing, and all that. You know, you just you just deal with how it comes. Right. Yeah. And there's always people trying to summit. Always, always. Yeah, all day long, right? All every day. every day of every the year. Every season, every season. So mm. people climb Everest uh, in spring season because that's where the weather is really good. Then they climb K2 in summer. That's when the weather in Pakistan is good. And, and there's like a season you know, where the weather is good and there's always like people climbing. Do people try to climb it out of season? Yeah. They climb yeah. it when the weather's bad? Yeah. Is it a cheaper vacation? It's, it's a <laughs> bit more cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you nailed it there, man. So at this point, when you first started doing this, when you first uh, you climbed the first two peaks, did you have funding by then? Did you know? No. So you didn't. Every time, you know, I go to one peak, we summit, and then there's a GoFundMe page, and then people are sharing, and, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, you know, who was in S like who, who was in a program called SES Who Dares Win, he started posting and supporting, and then people giving 20 pounds, 30 pounds, and eventually, as soon as I climb one mountain, there will be money for to, to climb the second mountain. So, right. look, the, the whole thing here was... I wasn't only climbing this mountain, but I was managing my social media. I was doing the fundraising. I was I was managing the team dynamics. I was doing the logistics. So as soon as I'm on this one, I, I have to think about what's happening on the another mountain. And the big thing here is the Fleming of the project, which I'll come into a bit later. The uh, what of the project? The, the, the Fleming. Fil filming. Fil yeah, okay. thank you. You know, Sorry. a bit of thick accent. I thought you were saying um, flaming. So... So, so, you know, look, when I was a kid, we didn't even have a TV in the house. 
um, as a kid, I used to go around uh, to neighbor's house to towards the television, and they would say, "Hey, get lost." But from that point, today, I produced the biggest mountaineering film ever in the history. So what I'm doing right now is not only about climbing. Climbing is the easiest thing I have done. So the whole of the 14 picks, it was my vision. It was my idea. We didn't even have the production crew. I was climbing and, and flying the drone at the same point. I was making sure that the teams were in the right place to capture the content. All of this. So again, you know, brother, nothing is impossible. So that's the thing. And the question that you asked me before, when did Netflix came in? So when I finished the whole of the project, I had about more than 100 hours of like, you know, footage in a hard drive. Before, before I went to Nepal, at the start of the project, I had pitched this to everybody. Can you film this? Nobody. So when I come with the hard drive, may I was in 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 different part of the of the table, and we did a big, uh, I would say, um, kind of like auction who would come and and make this, you know, produce this movie out of you know four or five people. Um, I decided to go with Noah because I felt like they were the right partners, and then um, Noah put this together. Um, we had amazing director in the Torquil Jones. You know, I think. And it's also his baby, um, looking through 100 hours of footage and, and, and stitching them. Then Jimmy Chin, um, you know, from Free Solo, he came in. So it's his wife, you know, Ty. And then, and then we sold it to Netflix. So Jimmy, is his name Jimmy Chin? He was yeah. the guy, did he produce Free he was Solo? EP. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. He was EP on our own. That movie's film. incredible, too. Yeah. 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 That movie's so they crazy. all came in like later on. Ah, oh, I see. And then. So this was after the footage had already been shot. Yeah. Right. So this is after you had completed all the peaks. Yeah. So what were you? You just had someone film it, and you figured we'll just edit this later. Not someone, brother. We we filmed by ourselves. Yeah. You know, myself, my team, and and because I knew that this thing has got multi layers of motivating factors. A lot of people who want to go into the filming industry and all said, okay, because I didn't have this camera, I didn't have this, right. I didn't have the, you know, like, you know, a Discovery, crew. Netflix, right. or crew signing this. Like, no, you know, you can make things happen. You just like, so it was really hard work when you are climbing in this like vertical slope and you are flying the drone and, you know, like climbing at the same point. But I knew that I had to do this. Even mm. another tough thing was like, you know, the, the, the shot with my mom when she was in hospital. Mm -hmm. It was crazy because you were like saying, hey guys, we need to have the camera, okay? Cause, but you don't feel natural because it's like a acting, right? right? But it's not a acting. Right. I have never been that part, but I was yeah. like, oh, it was so awkward, but I had to do it. So I said, you know guys, let's get the camera out. Whatever it happens, let's, let's suit it. Yeah, that's a real problem with like anytime you're trying to document reality and you have a camera, the camera just naturally changes the way people behave because yeah. they're aware that someone's watching. Yeah, and and you know for me like, you know, we had that and there's no cut and all that. It's just you just film the whole thing. Yeah. Like how you are doing right now. It's natural, yeah. right? We are not doing the acting and all that. So it's, it's natural. Everything is all good. But that's because I do it every day. If I did it just once, <laughs> I would be thinking, how do I act natural? Oh, You know, yeah. when you get accustomed to it. So do you think you were accustomed to the filming after a while where you could just be yourself because the cameras were on you so often? No, look, the, the big thing was I knew that this has to be documented and I knew it has to right. have it's, it's like authenticity and and that's why you know like from from speaking with the sponsors putting GoPro over there yeah to like you know filming all my tour and honestly Joe 
we haven't even used like most of the footage because it's very like full on 109 minutes of like punchy mm. like in a movie. So I wonder if you there's could. There's so much. It seems so like much. Netflix could make an accompaniment program where you could have a whole series. Oh yeah, if you easily. have hundreds of hours of footage. I think that would be really good. And they we can go into in depth the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, they should yeah. do that. They should do that. I mean, you have the footage. Okay, Netflix, you are listening this, Netflix. make it happen. Halach <laughs> boy. Halach boy, let's get it done. Oh. It just seems like you know, for a series, that's a no-brainer, you know, yeah. to to do an in-depth look at each individual climb. You yeah. have 14 different mountains. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that and totally makes the, sense, and they're the, always looking for content. Yeah, and also the part with with the mom, you know, yes. you know, my mom is like, you know, she was everything for me, and you know what, Jude, the biggest thing was, look, my mom got very ill, and she was living in this like in a city like you know room in Kathmandu. My dad was in in Chitwan where I'm from, and they were like you know, they were apart for almost two years. And I, I announced this project and I was like, oh my God. And then when can I put them together in the same roof? And that was my, my mission. Mm -hmm. So, but I really truly believe that for this bigger purpose, bigger goal, we all had to sacrifice. Mm. You know, not only I sacrificed, my wife sacrificed, then <clears throat> my brothers, everybody went through it, but we are making the difference. And well, the film has been a huge success, right? I mean, so many people have seen it. You must have motivated countless amounts of people yeah. to do things that they probably never thought they could do before. Yeah, you know what? So we yeah, it was the most watched documentary um, in Netflix. Uh, we are number seven, you know, competing with you know even Dwayne Johnson on that on that week. So, competing with the Rock. Yeah, with the Rock. Hey, Rock, listen, bro. <laughs> listen, bro. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was extremely. I would say. A bit of overwhelming to to see the response because yeah. you know I get so many messages like you know what names I was about to you know, take my life but when I saw that you know movie I was like wow my life is nothing in comparison to what this guy went and and it's changing a lot of people's you know way of thinking as well yeah. so you know I'm I'm happy I'm happy Zola. that's beautiful there is something about watching people accomplish amazing things that does change your perspective it really does work and and you know. There's a lot of motivational people online, but they don't necessarily do much. The real motivation comes from watching people do the impossible, like you, or you know, Thank watching you, Alex Honnold and Free Solo, yeah. or watching David Goggins, or the, yeah. someone who's actually doing something is what really motivates people. Mm -hmm. Talk is great. It's 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 exciting. Like sometimes enthusiastic and energetic people can motivate people just by words yeah. but the real motivation comes from watching other people do things and knowing that it's possible to push beyond the boundaries that you think exist because David Goggins has a great quote he says most people quit at 40 percent yeah you yeah. know and I think he's right yeah yeah did you see my quote what I said what'd you say it's, all, it's completely made of. So it was on K2 when I was there. Um, and what I said was, when you think you're fully fucked, you're only 45% fucked. <laughs> That's great. So what That's happened? That's perfect. Yeah, what happened? That's on right the, up yeah. there with what Goggins said. But it's, <laughs> yeah. it's people like you and him that have done oh, insane things you, that have that ability to express this. Because it's not just talk. You're at, yeah. You've actually done it. And that's that's the difference between... 
I mean, I don't want to call anybody out, but you know, certain motivational speakers that they yeah. give these big tours and they, they talk in front of large groups of people to, you can accomplish your goals, you can follow your dreams. And, but what are they doing? Right. It yeah. takes it re, for, for it to really resonate with a person. It takes someone like you that's actually done something spectacular. Yeah, man, that means a lot, you know, coming from you, Joe. Thank you. When you, so over the course of the many months that you did this film, when when you were close, was was there ever a moment where you had to realize, like, we're, we're almost there. Like, we actually are doing this. Because the, what you set out to do, yeah. if you, you brought that, I'm not in the climbing mm -hmm, world, mm -hmm. but from what I've read, if you brought that idea to anybody, they'd tell you to go fuck yourself. Yeah. They'd be like, that is the craziest idea ever. You're mm -hmm. gonna do how many peaks? 14 in how long? Seven months? Do you know what you're saying? You're saying you're gonna do one every two weeks. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. That's so stupid. People would be like, get the fuck out of my office. Yeah. You can't do that. Like you yeah. didn't even say I'll do it all in a year, which no. would be crazy. Or I'll do it all in two years. Still crazy. Three years. Fucking crazy. Like what was the world record before that? Eleven years? <laughs> no, nearly eight years. Oh, eight years. Okay, sorry. Sort of eight. Yeah. eight years. So if you decide to do it in four, people would go pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah. You're like, no, 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 seven months. And, and that was the, the missing statement, and Joe, I think even if I had passed that by one day, I would have repeated. <sighs> How did you get that number in your head? How did you get the seven months in your head? Look, I, when I did the full planning, I knew that this could be done in four months. Four months? Yeah, but I knew that I had no money. You know, so so if you had more money, yeah. you would have done it in four months? Maybe less than that. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, you know. <laughs> that's like, you do like one of those every couple of days? Like, yeah, that's so yeah. crazy. And, you know, like, to, to answer your question, you know, I climb Everest, let's say, Makalu, the world first, fourth, and fifth highest mountain in 48 hours. How many mountains did you climb in 48 hours? Everest, let's say, Makalu, the world first, fourth, and fifth highest mountain in 48 hours. You, you climbed all of them. three peaks in 48 hours? Yeah. So, yes, I could have done that in, in less than four shit. months. Holy shit. But I knew that, you know, I had to put, you know, first factor into the planning. I know there was no funding. I know that there will be a big bureaucracy, the politics, all that yeah. involved. And, and you see on the movie, you know, like the whole thing, what I had to do in order to get the permission from China was next level. What are you eating when you're doing this? May I just eat like Nepalese food, you know, it's rice, you know, vegetable and, and, and meat curry. And, and if I go up, what I do is uh, I just fry some chicken and have my, you know, like, you know, fried egg rice. I carry it's a bit heavy, but I carry up and then warm them up and, and I eat that. You must be starving. I mean, the amount of calories yeah. you're burning doing that must be insane. But you know what, Joe, you know, I carry only just to give, like, it's the training again, the mentality. So yeah. When I climb one 8,000-meter peak, I carry one liter of thermos, hot water, though. Okay? One liter? One liter. And when I summit and get back down, I would only drink half a liter of that thermos. I always stay reserved. But I think it's the mindset, it's the training. You know, you don't go so fast as well, so you are, like, super out of breath and you are dehydrating. You know, every my pace is calculated. And we know with the hot water, what I used to do is um, going into very basic. I used to scoop the cold snow put the hot water and that, you know, 
that one liter can be like three liters, right? Oh, okay. I, yeah. I, I drink Smart. that and I always right. like preserve, you know, because in mountains anything could happen. Right. You know, you may be stuck for three days right. and if you just don't don't plan and, and you start rationing and, and, and all those having that, you know, survival kind of you know, like you know, mentality, you will be you'll just be dead. So Do you carry anything with you like a, a burner stove so you could melt Water melt ice or no, not on a thousand meters. No, it's, nothing. It's already too heavy. Yeah, you know everything over there is. Is it nice to have, or is it must have? If right. it's must have, then you take it. If it's nice to have, you don't, because it's right. it's too crazy. And just to put things into perspective, if you are on like even let's say climbing Everest, you are eight thousand meter peak. Just to get your gloves out, open your like you know zipper, take the iPhone out, and take a picture. That's like dragging a car at sea level, and hence why people don't have many pictures because it's, it's so much tiring. Wow! It's multiplied by that that much element. And it, so you're just eating whatever food they have in the area. <coughs> yeah, the, yeah. Are you are you trying to supplement yourself with vitamins or anything to try? Is there anything that helps you? Man, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. I have never taken any supplements or anything in my whole life. No vitamins, Ever. nothing. No, nothing. Wow. Yeah. Even when I was training for these special forces, to all these eating things, just and working out, just eating out. You know, I eat what I want, and I just train hard, and yeah. So, is there anything that they say you should or shouldn't do when you're when you're in that environment? Like, I would think alcohol would be a terrible idea, <laughs> right? Because it would dehydrate you, right? Yeah. But you still drink alcohol up there. Yeah, I do. I do, though. You know, because, <laughs> but you know, my rule is. The moment I drink alcohol and I cannot perform, that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. You can go and have fun. Whatever you do in life, you know, of course you can, you can go. But as long as you don't mess up your mission plan, you know, yeah. that is good enough. Dehydration is a real issue though, right? Yeah, yeah it, it, so do it you, can be. So do you take electrolytes or anything? No, nothing. Nothing. I just nothing. drink water. Just drink water. Yeah. And how do you how do you know whether you're dehydrated? Because that's one of the things they say about people when they're at high altitude is they don't recognize that they're dehydrated mm-hmm. and it becomes an issue. I think many people who are probably at that survival stage wouldn't know, but I, I'm in full control, Joe. So I kind of you know, know you know, if I'm like... Right, dehydrated and all that, and and I kind of you know look into very details, hence why you know I keep saying you know like, a small thing matters on the big mountains. It's looking into really smaller things, and you know there's a saying like you know, it's not the the rock you know that wears you out. You know, it's the in a small pebble in your in your in mm-hmm. your shoes. You know that you know. So yes, I think yes, that's from yes. Muhammad Ali. I think yeah. Is that I think, what he said? Yeah, yeah. That's what he said. So. It's like little things that 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 fails you over there, not the big things. So, I, I pay attention on little things. So once you film this, mm-hmm. so you went through the the entire fourteen peaks. You did it. You got it done. Mm-hmm. Once you filmed it, how long did it take before you brought it to Netflix? And did you bring it to like other places like Amazon or HBO or anything like that? So. Again, yes, we did. Um, there was uh, a big competition between Netflix and Disney Plus. I don't know if I'm allowed to say. I'm going to say anyway. But so that, and then, but for me, money has never been my priority in my life. You know, otherwise I would never be able to quit my special forces career, sell my house, and go and do this. Um, and even though the money offered by Disney was way higher. Uh, you know, we decided to go with Netflix because I really felt like the movie 14 Picks would change so many people's life in a positive way. And and the whole idea here is 
it's not about climbing mountains really Zoe. it's about you know we all have our own mountains to climb in life you know how we we climb them and that is the baseline of this whole story so so uh, you just went with netflix because it has a broader audience yes Wow, how much bigger is Netflix's audience than Disney Plus? So I think well, Disney I, Plus is pretty huge. Yeah, it's huge. But I think you know, for me, I, I really wanted to reach out the world and 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 you know get this story out. So yeah, I think the, you know the, the whole fourteen picks was was obviously was available in all its country. Um, I don't know. I think Netflix has got 180 million subscribers. It was translated in 31 different languages, so wow. so people can you know like listen in into different Do you languages. Do know how many people have seen it? Did they tell you? It well, they, they didn't they tell me tell the figure, shit. but they said like it was the most watched documentary, yeah. and I was like, okay, that's what they do, yeah. man. They did that with my comedy <laughs> specials. They don't tell oh, you they? shit. Yeah, they no. just say you're doing great. You're doing great. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Nothing. You're just doing great. Like yeah. how great? Really great. Yeah. What the fuck yeah. does that mean? <laughs> they don't yeah. tell you. Well, it's like it's a smart business model, really, because they, yeah. they don't have to. Why should they tell you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was the whole purpose, and you know, I'm glad. You yeah. know, it, it has, obviously worked. It has met. But you know what, Joe? Not not really, mate. You know, I think again. You know, at the end of the movie, you have seen. You know, if this was done by any European Western climbers, or even American. Look, I'm not racist, but then this would have been. You know, ten times bigger, and it's no, I don't think still that's. Hold on. Okay. Listen, man, your okay. your film is huge. Do you know okay. how many people? Yes. Listen to me. Do you know how many <laughs> people have talked to me about it? Okay. People know that I love extraordinary accomplishments. Yeah. So uh, I've had so m once Cam Cam was the first because he watched it like when it first came out. Yeah. I've had so many people contact me about this. So many friends that that, that talked about it and said how incredible it is. I don't think that would have been any different. I think it's probably better that you're you because okay. you don't come from some sort of uh, media environment. You're not uh, like a Bear Grylls or someone like that yeah. who's like a media star. Yeah. You're just a, a, a guy with an amazing past who's genuine. I, th yeah, I th thank Listen, you, I think it's perfect. I don't think it would have been bigger. Come on, son. Just so thanks. <laughs> I don't think it would have been bigger <laughs> if it was a, a white guy or an yeah, Asian guy okay. or a guy from anywhere else. Cool. What you did is you, and I think it's amazing. And it's also amazing because your, your mindset is not something you can replicate in a lot of people. I don't I think you either have that mindset or you don't. I think I don't think you could choose to have that mindset and make a film like that because you've had this mindset since you were a small boy. That mindset is not something you could just easily cultivate. So I don't think there's a lot of people like you out there, you know? I, I, but the thing is so like some of the things that you can train. For example, you know, I always, you know, believe in the positivity and and the impact is so huge. And sometimes a bit of negative can cost your life. And let me give you this example. I was in Everest in 2017. I was in process of you know breaking the world records. Uh, and I submitted Everest. I got back down to Camp 4 on Lhotse. Now I'm supposed to climb Lhotse and then I found out my oxygen was stolen. Now the Someone fact- Someone stole your oxygen? So the fact over from there- From your camp? Yeah, from, from where we had stored So the fact there is, my my oxygen is stolen. That's the reality, okay. But then, a lot of people probably go mental, saying that you know what, fuck, my oxygen is stolen. They go out of the mine and and they lose it, and then they they blame that and they go down, because that's the only way to do. And I was like, no, how can I change the tide? How can I? And what I really did at that point was, so I said to myself, Nims, 
your oxygen wasn't stolen. It was used by somebody else to rescue somebody. So it was used to save his life. And I, I completely believe in that lie. And it's a lie. But I have to believe in that by myself. And I was like, okay. So because of that, my oxygen, someone is alive and his family can see him. And I got that energy. And I went and saw me that Lotse and got back down, brother. So you lied to yourself. I lied to myself, but I had to believe in that. That's a great way to do it. It's very, very you know, wise. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like you have to lie yourself and you got to believe in, in, in the positivity, even though it's not. And then, and then you believe what you believe is, is your God. How could someone steal your oxygen? What a dirty person. Yeah, but it happens, brother. Do you? Uh, I think they they might be in that survival situation where they were they didn't have the option and uh, right. You know, when it comes into the into the stage of survival, again I give example of of drowning in the sea because a lot of people understand. You know, it doesn't matter if it's, if your girlfriend or wife, you know, drowning next to you, you will grab them and try to survive. So right, right. that's the situation. Right. I yeah, think. Yeah, people get desperate. Yeah, and you know who knows? They maybe they're yeah. extremely poor. The, the one of the things about Everest is that it, you know it gets this is one negative thing that people say mm -hmm. that it's like a, a rich man's goal mm -hmm. like that they want to be bragging at a cocktail party about summiting Everest yeah and that really it's the Sherpas that are doing all the work yeah so so even there Joe sorry I interrupted there's two things um, again it's what the media says right the media has got so much power these days and and it could be completely wrong and no Everest is not for every rich people no because Let's let's give my own example. Did I have money to climb all these things? No. Everything in life. Look, either you become so good. If you are so good at it, you don't you don't even need that much money to climb Everest, okay? Because you don't need such a support. Right. But if you are not that, if you don't have time to do that, and and you know if you have been working hard in 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 your own world in your work and you have saved that money, you can go and climb with the support. So I take things completely in, in a different way because even now people will say, oh, I, I, if I had the money, I would have climbed 14 peaks. I'm like, bullshit, I didn't even have the money. So there's mm. no excuses. So I think everything in, in life, whatever you want to do, has got two angles. Either you invest your career in that, you build up, you become so good so you can, you can do without bare minimum or you're working in some industry but you're saving up to do and I think for me let's say for example if Albert Einstein wanted to go and climb Everest I would say of course because he can experience that depends right? on how old he is I don't know but yeah exactly well, how old is, 80 how, how, and, what's and, the and, oldest and like, guy that's ever climbed it 82 82 82 so, so the big thing here is you know like it's adventure Joe. what I really believe is a lot of people, like, they all have rights to the adventure. And people don't really come and climb Everest or any 1,000-meter peak to be another Nimstai or another, like, you know, the legend. But right. they come to to experience something. It's like running marathon. People run marathon because from that journey, they take something away in their life. And then whatever they are doing, like a corporate role or business, they say, you know what? I ran that whole marathon, even I was, I was in agony, I was in pain, I can do this job. So I climbed this Everest when it was so tough, but now I can do this thing. So they, they climb for that experience, for that mindset to, to develop into different things. And again, it choose, right? You, you, you pick and choose. So, okay, if I want to go to space, well, either, you know, I be a, a scientist by myself, or I have the money, I use other people to the advantage and I go.
right? right? But it's about the experience. And I think we humans should be more open to to be helping each other and then cut all this negative away and try to see from their perspective before making the judgment or before making any calls. Well, you're saying that because you're a winner. And see, you got to realize that haters are all losers. And the people that are negative and they're constantly looking for a negative angle, most of them are failures. But they find a reason to disparage people's success. So if yeah. it's a bunch of rich people that are climbing Mount Everest, yeah, they, they decide to just shit on these rich people that are climbing Mount Everest. Because it's an easy way to like find a negative angle on what's a positive accomplishment. But, 100%. Um, but from their perspective, one thing that I do agree with them is that it is very unfortunate that the amount of human waste that's left behind this disgusting amount of human shit that's mm -hmm. left up there because they just leave it up there mm -hmm. and they leave a lot of their trash up there they leave the bodies up there so from their perspective there is there's value to the fact that even though they write these articles mm -hmm. shitting on these people no pun intended the 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 it at least brings attention to the fact that that is an issue Okay. Yes, correct. So that's an issue. Yeah. But you know, it we shouldn't are, be the primary we are, concern. We are there to solve that issue now. Well, that that's that why. is amazing that you're going to do why, that. That's why you know, and you know, right now I have been announced as a as a goodwill ambassador for Nepal tourism. So hopefully we can you know implement that kind of you know, rule. So th look. When I announced the Big Mountain Cleanup Project, I thought you know few corporates organizing would, would support it, and mm -hmm. and there wasn't. Let me ask so you. So I this. put my own money. Right, and then what I believe is, yes, sometimes you have to start by yourself. It's okay. Right. So there wasn't like big, you know, you know, corporate industry or all these people came and said, Nims, you know what? You announced the big mountain cleanup project. We are part of this outdoor industry. We are part of this. We can support you to to bring all those rubbish. No, not any big major donations. So well, maybe okay. they don't know about it. Hopefully, after listening yes, to, to they'll, those they'll podcasts, they'll, they'll find out. And yeah. How would they be able to contribute if, like, say, REI wanted to get involved or Yeti Coolers or something like okay, that, some so big company? Okay, so just go into Nimstai Foundation, and it will be there. Yeah, Jamie's pulled it up because he's the fucking best. Yes. Big Mountain Cleanup, committing to restore, respect, and protect. So this is you yeah. up there, and is that garbage that's behind you? What is yeah. that? That's the garbage behind me. So That's on K2. That is a mountain of garbage all that stuff to the left of you all that colorful stuff yeah that's all garbage yeah how much garbage is up there quite a lot too so this year like i think we we managed to get around you know can we play that film let's play the film <laughs> yeah let's play, play, let's, the play, play it. let's play it oh hi look at you you handsome <laughs> devil how the global warming and the climate change has affected the whole of the planet for me being as a mountaineer I would like to highlight what's actually you need a better sound guy. Yeah. So if the temperature <laughs> is rising like this with the global warming, you know, eventually this glacier will collapse. And if that happens, uh, the whole of the valley gonna get wiped out. And it's just a matter of time. You know, let's be proactive. Let's do whatever we can in order to save this disaster. Did you have your microphone under your I clothes or something? Yeah. We yeah, that you're right. I should have done it better. Yeah. How big Maybe you should how dub this over. Pretend you're As outside. <laughs> I'm playing my part with my upcoming project called the Big Mountain Cleanup Project, where we'll be cleaning up all the mountains, starting with Manaslu in September, Everest, 
in the spring next year, that's 2022. I'm a Devlin towards the end of autumn in 2022 again, and K2 a year after. I absolutely believe that this decade is huge, important for us in order to protect our planet or our home. That's beautiful that you're doing this. Now, let me ask you this. What about the bodies? So, Because there's a lot of bodies up there, right? Especially um, Everest. Not like so many bodies. Though. Like most of the bodies have been brought down. They have? Yeah, yeah. Oh, when did this happen? Uh, every season, you know. Oh, but so, there's still a lot that's left up there. Isn't there like the one of the, some of the first climbers that ever tried to do it? They're still up there? Yeah, but some of the bodies, you cannot find them. Because, you know, every year it's snowing and some of the bodies oh. goes into crevasse like deep, you know. So you wouldn't find. But some of the bodies that you see, most of the, the body that you can see are brought down. I wrote a piece about this a long time ago because they had photos of the very first guy that died up there. And, you know, he's face down, his skin is white, it looks like yeah. marble. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's... Do you remember the first time you saw a body up there? Yeah. Yeah. It was on Daulagiri, so it was my first 8,000 meter peak. And there was a dead body right on the summit. Whoa. And... So you got to the top and there's a dead guy up there. Yeah. Did they know yeah. who the dead guy is? No, we really don't know. So we no really one knows. don't know. No one knows, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So just some guy who died. So, yeah, some people who pushed too much beyond their limitations and mm. and couldn't make it and, down. And, and couldn't make it down. Like you know, like that that story which I wrote on Beyond Possible on Kanchenjunga. This guy was clearly out of his death, and I said, "Hey, brother, you need to turn around." And he said, mm -hmm. "No, my only way is up." When you were on that line to Everest, and there's hundred plus people in that line, mm -hmm. what if someone has to take a shit? Well, I think that's a very good question. Um, but I think at that point, the human body is so much into that survival element. You just shut down. People don't like, you know, don't feel mm. it. But if they feel it, even like there are like little rocks where they can crab and, and go and go behind. But it's rocks. a line of people. So do you cut the line? I think at that point. you get point, back in? they let you back in? You're, this, yeah, hey, that's will. my spot. Yeah, I had yeah, to take no. a shit. <laughs> I think at that point, if people want to have a shit, because it's not that really fast moving line, Joe, because people take one step. Right. And and they wait for like three four minutes to get another breath back, and everybody's oh, doing that, really? and everybody's doing that. So it's mm. not like really QQ, and I think some of the people actually might like it because they don't have to push so hard. They're like, okay, this guy's in front of me, so he takes one step, rest three four minutes, right. and then get another one. That's literally towards the summit bit because it's so much thinner. It's almost nine thousand meters. So wow, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's very high. That's very high. And are most people at that peak when they're that high up? Or the people that aren't, aren't like yourself are they using oxygen to do that? Yeah, most of them are on oxygen. So they have a tank that's they with them. They have a tank, so you know, obviously the, the Sherpa would carry the spare tank. So and and we, the Sherpa doesn't even need we, oxygen. We, well, uh, it all depends upon how we are climbing. If we are guiding and all, we take the oxygen because we cannot jeopardize you know the the client's life just mm -hmm. you know you want to be a hero um but yeah you know we, we can climb without oxygen and and few people can do it if they're trained for that so is everest the most popular of all the summits i think it's it's, it's the most popular but you know there's another mountain called k2 yeah which is uh which is you know 
quite hard mountain. They call that K2 as a, as a savage mountain. And I think, so if you heard that story or not, you know, last year we, we, you know, so K2 was the only mountain in the world above 8,000 meter peak. No one had summited in winter. So all other 13 were summited in winter and K2 was the last challenge. And um, yeah, we went, we went over there. So you did it just because it's hard? No, I think at that point, being brutally honest, I didn't even want it to go in K2 that year because I knew that the movie was coming and I was planning, okay, you know, when the movie comes, I will have more reach out, I'll get more sponsorship, that means more mm-hmm. money and right. you know, I can look after my family. But then it was a huge risk, every climbers from all over the world. So this was 46 expedition going in K2 winter to, to risk. And I was like, hey, names, you know, you said you are never about money and all that, now you need to go. And the reason why I went and made that quick decision was, look, we as a, as a Nepalese climbers, brother, we have got 8,000 8, meter peak in, in Nepal. It's, it's, it's our playground. And none of them were submitted in, like none of us have submitted in winter. Not because we couldn't do it. We didn't knew the value of submitting in winter. We had no mm. idea. Like by submitting in winter is such a big thing. So then we obviously started figuring out, okay, it's, it's the greatest, the last mountaineering challenge remaining. So we went over there. And, uh, yeah, and then it was done in a style, like... Now, when you do that, say if you're going to summit K2 in winter, do yeah. you have to be very careful with weather reports? Do you have to have updated satellite images yeah. of what storms are moving through? How do you do that? My 100%. I think we have that uh, that video on K2 winter. If you go on to the NIMSTA, it's a project, you can find out. So there's K2 and that goes into, into more detail. And I think if people are looking at it, we can we can send it to you. But How much colder like is it in the winter? Minus 65 degrees Celsius. Oh! And hey. it's like, like, like hurricane wind. You know what we're wearing? So we were like, you know, the base layer, yeah. then we'll wear like mid layer, then we were like another jacket, down jacket, then we were another down jacket, and then big summit suit. Oh so your boy. kit and equipment is probably around, I would say, 15 kg. And, and there so was. So that's like 35 pounds or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and that's what. And that's that's why, just like, clothes. Yeah, but I think all previous 45 expeditions, the highest, one of the world best climbers, you name it, had. Their reach was seven thousand four hundred meters, so no one could even go, you know, beyond that. And what did you get to? Okay, brother, to the summit, <laughs> of course, to the summit. And the summit is where? Eight thousand six hundred meters. Wow! Plus, so everyone else got to seven thousand plus. Yeah, all like, forty-five expeditions before. And what we so did was. So you were was, the first. We were the first. Wow! And why I say we is, um, Joe, in every mountaineering history like most of the time it's one person submitting right so this my team the whole k2 winter expedition was paid by me here it so is not this one uh it's on the project uh yeah, yeah that's the one yeah 65 yeah degrees this is celsius, the one buddy which is it, it minus 40 degrees celsius is the same fahrenheit as it is celsius that's how look at this hurricane winds oh my god and then you got a ladder K2 winter, the greatest, the hardest, the last. Now, when you've done this, Nims, this is a, you're in a strange situation. 
you've done something extraordinary. Mm -hmm. You made a huge film that millions of people have seen. It's got an extraordinary amount of attention. Mm -hmm. Are you in a position now where you feel obligated to do another crazy thing? No. So I have always been myself, and at the end of the movie, you see, like, you know, I haven't even started it, brother. So but that's what I'm saying. you got a lot to do. Like, So you're yeah. going to do some other crazy shit. A lot of them, Joe. A lot of them? Yes. What's Is it all going to be climbing? No. It's what are you going to do now? I think probably have to stay tuned, brother. Stay I'm tuned. So, yeah. Come on. Let's, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Give people you. a preview. <laughs> what are you thinking no, of doing? Think, you know, like it's it's like achieving my own new possible, and you know, again, in extreme sport is where I live. You know, right? So yeah, yeah. So do you once you've accomplished something like this, and then you get done with doing press for it, and then it gets very popular? Do you then sit around and think about what your next goals are? Do you wait for your goals to just pop into your head and come to you? How do you? Yeah, it, I wait for it to pop in. It just comes in. Like, you know, that's why I said, you know, like when I and when I first talk about this project, people say, okay, it's impossible. There's nothing bigger than this. I'm like, of course, there is bigger than this. It's like when, you know, first, you know, Neil Armstrong went to the moon, they were like, oh, it's not possible. He went to the moon and now people are going in Mars and all that, you know, planets. So there's always bigger things to do. No one's life. gone to Mars. Though, dude. Really? Yeah. But and they have no one's gone to the no? moon since 1972. But they have gone there, though. Uh, it's, supposed, it's done, though. Supposedly. It's done, though. Supposedly. So, yeah, and and you know, so I think um, so on K2, I want to finish that story. So yes, it was 65 degrees and, below Celsius. Yeah, and then at that point, what I said to my team members was like, guys. At that point, you know, a lot of people were dying because yes. of the you know, pandemic and so many crises. You know, I said to them, guys, we are from Nepal, very poor country, but let's send a message of unification. And what I said to them was like, every time in the history of mountain, there's always one person submitting. There's only one. Even though I was the expert leader, all my Sherpas were getting paid from, from the money that I was getting from my sponsorship and all that. I could have been the first, but I, I didn't want it that. So I said... Ten of us will summit together singing the national anthem of Nepal. And everybody look at me, Nimsta, you're fucking serious. I was like, How are you yeah. going to sing when you can't breathe? Hey. <laughs> and, 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 and I will answer that question as well. So. Did you record the singing? Yes. Can I see it? Is it yes. online? Yes, it's on online. All right, yes. we got to see that. K2 Winter, the, the Nepalese, you know. And yeah, you know, Joe, so we pushed it on. And just five meters from the summit, we stopped. I was I was controlling everything because I was like you know if just somebody guys run at the front and whole plan is disturbed so I was holding like you know making sure I was at the front so I controlled the show right so we wait everybody to come together and then you know like then we hug each other and last five meters we walk together singing the national anthem and you know what that was the most satisfying and most like you know I would say the happiest moment of my life and wow. because everybody was feeling the equal. Here it is. So I would like you to notice over there. So that's me without oxygen over there. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the one with the um, red summit suit um, next to this cameraman. I'll come into that in a bit. Oh my God! So here you see, got the view is insane. Yes. That view brother. is insane. So this is the peak right here? Yeah, that's the summit. Wow. And that's how many feet? That's 8,600. Help me please. 8,600 <laughs> meters. Yeah. 
a meter's roughly three feet, right? Oh my god. That, does that guy have frostbite on his yeah. face? Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. You say yeah, yeah, like no big that deal. Is. He's gonna lose his face. Like no. what? What happens? It's, it's a frost nip, so oh. frost nip can be treated. So the frost nip is the the early stage of uh, frostbite. So okay, show show that guy's face, Jamie. Yeah, right there. So like, that, that is, looks yeah. serious. Yeah, that's just frost nip. Frost nip. Yeah. Does, does that leave a scar? Um, a little bit, but that will go away with time. It looks like his face is falling off. Like that looks yeah. like, doesn't it? Yeah, that wouldn't look good, right? Jamie wants yeah. to. He told me before this he wants to climb with you. He's Jamie, just, you should come. I got a lot of shows to produce here. <laughs> yeah, we're going up there together. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, we should. I'll make it happen. Fuck that. Trust me. Yeah, good for you, mate. You know what? This is exactly what I used to think before. Oh, this is what exactly I'm mate, telling you, you know right what? now. When I was before Fuck that, Joe, mm-hmm. before 30 years old, you know, because mm. you know, going into special forces selects and carrying those big right. backpack, running everywhere, I hated the hills. Oh. I hated the mountain. I was like, I never want to go and do this. But when I was serving around the world, people mm-hmm. keep asking me, hey, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Nepal. Oops. And they were like, okay, where is Nepal? And I said, do you know Mount Everest? And they were like, okay, have you seen it? And I was sick of saying no. And that's the only reason I went to Everest Base Camp, to see the Everest. And that changed my whole life. Mm. You never know until you try to, honestly. I'm sure. Hundred percent. You said come. You know what that means? I'll never know. Yes, you said I'm come. I'm not doing that. Come on. No. Hey. Thanks for the offer. I really appreciate it. It's very <laughs> kind of you, but I'm so not into that. Yeah. I love mountains. I love being in the mountains, but that is uh, no, but different. Though. That's you know, like I really want you to come, Zoom. I'm sure you do. It's because not it will be different. You gotta Honestly. let it go. You gotta let that go. Oh my god! Listen, okay. I have shows to produce. <laughs> yeah, see, look, that could be you, right there. Oh, could be me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Survey <love> says. <laughs> so what are you doing now like what do you do with your time now that you've done this like you you okay. retired from the military you you put this netflix documentary out did you make good money from the netflix thing to the point where you can kind of relax for a little not bit not really mate so no? what i'm doing right now is i'm guiding 10 months on the mountains so really got, yeah i've got this company called elite expert and it's so like, you it's like my personally baby. guide people i personally guide people Do, how many people want to go with you that must be like a, a uh, big line well i think just not that huge number no um, to be honest but this year i'm taking really some cool people so i'm guiding the princess of qatar um the I princess also, of qatar yeah. is going to take a walk up everest Yes, and you know what? She is the most strongest climber, guide-wise, I have ever climbed in my life. She ever? is badass. Like, you know, like, honestly, brother, I wouldn't have said it. Really? She is that fit. Wow. And, you know, we're in Antarctica, and then there were, like, some guys who have climbed 14 peaks and all these. And the, when they saw her, like, carrying her own tent, dragging everything, and, you know, because I want her to be credible. You know, that's, this is where we're training. Yes, and then yes. people were, like, mental. And she climbed Manaslu, a thousand meter peak without oxygen. So really, yeah. So what it's, are the what's the numbers trying. of people that do Everest a year? Like how many people do um, Everest every year? It depends, buddy. So I think with with three hundred, like I would say, the clients, and maybe like four hundred, you know, to five hundred, like the Sherpas. So just around eight hundred people, yeah, in in a good season. 
800 people. Yeah. It's pretty low. It's very low. Like, you know, like in a Mont Blanc, like 20,000 people summit in a season plus. And how many people die on Everest every year? Uh, Five to six people. That's not. That's not, yeah. Nowadays, because there's big safety and, you know, a lot of like very competent guide and all that. And you know what, Joe? I'm going to tell you this statistics. People have tried 14 times, 14 times to climb one 8,000 meter peak and they haven't still been able to do it. Really? Do you know what my track record is? What? I have laid 26 8,000 meter peak expedition and I have never failed any of those, never failed. And not only that, when I say failed, as in like in terms of reaching to the summit uh-huh. and bringing everyone back down exactly where they left. No like toes missing, no fingers cutting down, maybe a bit fitter. And that's my track record. No one How has that. How have you been able to do that? I think it's with uh, with a very like in detail planning, being able to see what you know, things come ahead. All that in you know, the planning first factors I learned from these special forces and, and equally being very strong at the altitude, I think. If you have someone that you're going to take to the top of the mountain, how do you ensure that they're fit enough to accomplish it? I truly believe that anybody can, can climb. It's the matter of how you do it. So, for example, so let's say a person like who had never climbed anything comes to me. I will take them to Aconcagua, which is 7,000-meter peak. It's like really trekking peak, right? Not technical. And at this expedition, they learn about how how they feel, how they adapt with the altitude, because different people adapt differently. Mm-hmm. Just to put into breaking down into perspective, for example, if you like, let's say you are reaching to the base camp, and for some people it can, it can take, let's say, 12 days or 13 days. But if you just follow that crowd, even though you are struggling, that could jeopardize the whole thing. But in another res- um, uh, perspective, if you slow down by a day, you could be completely fine. Mm. So it's all about like different people is different. And then obviously I take them to Manaslu, a thousand meter peak. That's where, you know, they, they learn a bit more and then they go in Everest. So it's with, with now like innovation, you know, technology and like with the science that, you know, how we know how the people, you know, adapt differently and all that is possible. So they don't even have to be necessarily very fit. I would say they have to be okay fit, uh, not like super, super fit though. Because, you know, you could be like, again, you could be Usain Bolt at sea, sea level. That means nothing at altitude. Mm. Because over there you are like, you are walking very slowly. Right. You cannot go fast. Would you recommend someone do something like, I know they have these uh, tents Oh that yeah, yeah, hypoxic. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people do that, but it's good to have it, but it's not a replacement for the altitude. Because when you actually go and do the the trekking, the acclimatizing, you spend twenty four hours, right? Mm-hmm. You put that ten in your house, maybe you sleep in you know, five hours even or less, and then right. that that is not the substitute for climbing. How long does it take for a human body to adapt to like that kind of altitude? It all depends, second Joe. Like for me, I can go and I can I can probably climb a thousand meter peak within ten days without any acclimatization, any prior acclimatization. Uh, some people take you know two and a half months, so it all depends. So some people that are going to do that, they will go and what will they do to get prepared for something that's going to take two and a half months for them to acclimate? So what they do is okay, they they come to Nepal. Two days will be in Kathmandu. 
then we fly to Lukla. So that's where you know you start the trekking, mm-hmm. and it's like a beautiful, really nice, beautiful trekking. So you you probably walk five six hours in a day. So you have a breakfast. You know you you carry pretty mm-hmm. like light, have a lunch, and you go into the tea tea houses. You sleep over there. And next day again, you you walk another five hours, exactly same routine. So, so you're building yourself. You're building up. up slowly, and once you get to the base camp, you stay there for five days because, you know, you are building the red blood cells. You mm-hmm. do like small like acclimatization hike, nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. And after five days, what you do is, you go to camp one. You sleep over there. So it's the first one, you know. And then if you feel good, you go to camp two. If you don't, you sleep there for another day. Mm. And then you go to camp two eventually. If you feel good, again you go and touch camp three and come down. If you're not feeling good, I keep them for extra day because because it's, it's like building the red blood cells acclimatize. Is and there a way they, to check? No, it's because it's, it's all how you feel. Yeah, how you feel. Mm. You know, it's like you know, as long as all my my clients are honest, I tailor fit everything. You got to be careful with really tough people, then, right? Yeah, very. And you know what? Exactly, tough people like are seals. the one who struggle. Yeah, because there's so much like you know egos, and they want to do it, and and they are not as fast as they're on sea level. So this is where like you have to take a chill pill mm. and and let it adapt. That's that has to be very hard because a lot of the people that are willing to do something like that are very tough to begin the, with. Yeah, right. And then yeah, and that's when it it hits it. And yeah, once you you touch camp three, you come down to base camp. And now you wait for the weather window, and if there's a good weather window, this time now you can go directly to camp two, and you'll be even quicker because you are acclimatized. Mm. Then you go to camp three. From camp three, we put on oxygen, and then obviously you go to camp four. Uh, and camp four, you on Everest, depending on how fast you are, I I kind of decide who goes at what time. Mm-hmm. So if you're slower, we send at nine o'clock. If you're faster, we send at like one a.m. in the morning. So everybody reached summit around seven o'clock in the morning, and they come down. And yeah, so so the whole process from flying to Nepal to yeah. summiting Everest, how much time is average? Two months. Everest. Two months. Two months. Wow. So yeah. that's we're definitely not going, Jamie. Yeah, but you know people. Uh, but you know what? I can take people in in a month. Yeah, I don't have a month, bro. Oh, I don't even have a week. On. Jesus, I know. That's crazy. Uh, But you can always make that time. Hey, you're right. I heard that. I heard that before. You can do it. (laughs) You can do it, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's amazing that that many people have that kind of time to Mm -hmm. spend months acclimatizing you know what it's, it's not that you know it's like making time for yourself like Joe because you know some of the people who are coming are like literally like in the billionaires and some are like very busy people and well it's got to be a life goal for them right yeah it has to be something where you know they are doing that for a reason either to get the experience to to move on and take away from that experience to whatever they're gonna achieve in life or Mm. Yeah, it's it's the adventure. You know, adventure is the is the biggest healer of any any problems we have in life. Yeah, yeah. Adventure is yeah, hundred percent. How so? I think because that's when look a lot of people say Nims, you know, why you climb and all that. I I few reasons. You know, one I climb, you know, so that I'm alive because I love putting myself into the risks where I I care about living. And not just existing, right? And like in other normal t- terms, you know, why adventure? Like, and I say, why it heals everything is because when 
when you get into those mountains, things are very simpler. You know, all these things that we worry about, you know, paying the mortgage or, you know, like entertaining this guy or making everybody happy, all those, all those problems we have from the society, they all get dropped down because you are at that element of, I would say, not survival, but in that adventure field where nothing really matters. Like, you know, for example, if you are doing a, a fast four-miler, you're not going to think about all those things. You are like thinking about how you keep up the pace to, to meet that mission. And, and that's what it is. And it's, I think it's, it's a great like, you know, things to do. Mm. Well, I, I, I can imagine that the difficulty of it, the, the power of just being out there in that insanely yeah. beautiful environment, mm-hmm. it's very hard to think about all the nonsense of the world. It kind of puts things into perspective. Yeah. Massively, massively. Yeah. But you know why I, I first started climbing Zoo? Um, you know, like being the first Gurkha in SBS, you know, passing it in the first time and you know, serving around the world for 10 years, doing, doing crazy shit, you know. Um, and you think we're invincible. You really think you're invincible, you know, from this stuff that you have done. And uh, when I first went to the mountain, it really made me feel humble. The mm. nature was like, you know what? It, it put me into uh, back into my <laughs> my shoes and elements. So then I really started loving that, and then and I and I started finding the joy in in putting myself into into this self voluntary torture. Um, mm. And then obviously with that, I found the the bigger purpose and. And then this is where I am. And, and the key message uh, in everything what I have done and what I say to people is, look, whatever you do in life, follow your passion. Because if you follow your passion, like when I did in Gurkhas, it was my passion. When I did in, in SBS, it's a passion. Because you put so much hour, extra hours on this work. And then if that's a work that you don't love, it's not a passion, you will go mental, you go crazy. So when you follow your passion, you know, extra work, is not extra hours because you are enjoying it. And that extra right. hours is like extra training. Yes. And when you put so much extra training than, than the rest of the people, you, of course, become the best of who you are. And and with that being the best means, you know, of course, there's then different source of income because you are the, the, the elite of that thing. And then and the money that all these, all these things will follow. I know you're, you're speaking to a lot of ultra performers out there. You're speaking to people that, do have that mindset and they do want to accomplish things for some people it's just hard to get those first few steps going to achieve a goal mm-hmm. and to follow a dream what you're saying i 100 percent believe that if you find your passion mm-hmm. you won't you you're not working you're loving no, it it loving doesn't it. it's not like a job that you dread where you show up every day uh-huh. it's just a matter of finding that thing yeah. But for a lot of people it's very difficult to find that thing so that's why, look, it's one life, though. You, you got to go and try different things. Otherwise, you are not living it. Right. Why you are scared of taking that risk, you know, quitting from that job or whatever that are scared, is. Though. And then go and do it because it's one life. What, what worse can happen? I'm with you. I agree with yeah. you 100%. But for a lot of people, it's very difficult to get moving. You know what? To a lot of people who are listening this today, make that commitment and you never know you know what at the at the worst situation you will probably lose that job hey come on that's not that's not end of it that's not really end of it and 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 for those people who doesn't really know the difference between living and existing guys look 
start living. And once you make those commitments, and nothing comes without any risks. You have to take that risk to step off, you know, that job that you are not liking or that career that you yeah. are not enjoying. And then, and then do other things. That's the thing. So that so many people are not willing to take a risk. The risk seems too dangerous. It seems too fraught with peril and there's no definite like what you did when you retired from the military you you had no safety net and for some people that's terrifying they live for a safety net they want a nice 401k retirement plan oh my god they want yeah you you are right you are and you know like with this like in a movie if i had to go through like let's say bigger production team it would have never been signed because they were like oh it's such a huge risk right right, all that right right? because crazy but you know you you made things happen and and we all are different and and again going into that perspective what you said you know when i sold my house and gave up my prestige career in the special forces all that pension you know my best thing was you know what the worst thing is what could happen i can leave off my tent and even I said to my wife, you know, let's, we're going to live, you know, start from the tent. Your probably, wife was probably like, what? What? And I uh, said, and, tent. Yeah. And then, and then you, you, you go again, you, you grow again, you yes. know, Joe, and there's always a time. You can do that. That is absolutely possible for, for, but for most people, when they've achieved a certain amount of success, the idea of going backwards is terrifying to them. Right. Yeah, that's why you need to find the purpose. Wow. And that purpose, like, you know, because when I when I say that I, I climb without sleeping for six days, it's like, hey, why? Because I had the purpose. I yeah. honestly, you know, I used to slap my face. I used to think about all these motivating factors. You, you, you Then you break it down and I used to put snow under my armpit. But then it's the purpose, you know, what the it The snow under me. the armpit is to wake you up? Is that what that's Yeah, called? yeah. yeah. Just the, the just because it's cold. like freezing yeah. cold, and then even that is so like you you are so tired that as soon as you stop, you'll fall asleep, and yeah. you're like, oh my god, I may fall down, and then you're like start slapping in your face, and then, yeah, you know, it's just like, and I may you know funny things. What I used to think was like, yeah, Nims, you know, if you're like in downtown in a club, and you are like drinking and you are dancing, and even it's like two o'clock in the morning, you would still you still dance, and you know, and you are not even achieving anything. But now you are here in the greatest mission, and you want to slip. You know, mm. all these multi layers of like motivating factors, you know, and also like seeing the the light at the end of the tunnel, Joe. You know, mm-hmm. like I I always knew like I had to finish this project. And yeah, what was it like when you stepped foot on the top of the last summit? But um, as soon as I went there, I was like, okay, it's a last project, last mountain. I still haven't done it. I need to get back down safely. This is when things could like go wrong. So mm. don't be too cocky. Straight away, I went into like you know that net. And right. and the big thing was, you know, I called my mom from the summit and I said, hey, mom, you, you know. You have cell phone service at the summit? Yeah, you satellite. your satellite phone. Okay. And and I called her and I said, remember that project I was doing? And she's like, yeah. And it's like, it's over, mom. I just have to get down safely. And that was, I remember that phase, brother. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That'd be pretty incredible. Yeah, I think, <laughs> look. Let me put it this way. During the, the first phase, when I finished it, the, the big sponsors start coming in, a few hotels in Kathmandu and all day, they get in touch and they were like looking after my like free stay and all that. And then one of the hotel, I took my mom and I, I asked for the mineral water. And my mom told me, son, can you afford this? And I say, mom, you know, nowadays, you know, for staying in this hotel, you know, these people like, you know, not only give me a free stay they they are supporting by paying a bit of you know money into the project and she's like bullshit 
don't try to fool me and and she never she had the idea believe you? she never had the idea what i was doing and then literally when i finished the whole 14 picks um i made her fly at the border which you see on on, on the film as well and that was and she still didn't knew it but then when the the, the helicopter came and landed at the Kathmandu airport and there was like British ambassador coming in like Range Rover with the flag of Nepal and and and, and, and United Kingdom <laughs> wow. and then as we get out of the gate there was like whole of the band you know like playing the and then mom probably saw okay this is what you know <laughs> her son had done that yeah. had to be amazing to make your mother so proud yeah man and 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 the big thing here what i really felt where where i was really upset was I told you earlier, like my dad was in Chitwan, my mom was in Kathmandu, living in this small room, and I wanted to put them together. And after I finished the project, honestly, the bank they they trust me and they give me like loan and everything. And it was around six hundred k. I bought a really nice house in Kathmandu. Um, it was all like made, and I was trying to put my mom and dad together. And And I remember my it was 26th of February when I went to move my both parents. My mom passed away 2 hours before I landed. Mm. And that was when I really felt like time, you know, it, it never waits for anybody. Mm. And that was when I felt like that's the only mission I felt in my life. No, oh, that's not a failure. That's just life. You right? know, it's like, you know, but that's hey, hey, I hope crazy. you know you know i still kind of like satisfy myself saying that okay see, at least you witnessed the the airport stuff the the yeah. hero welcoming and yeah. all that the positive aspect no that's very positive i mean she she saw you accomplish something that's incredible and we all die brother yes we all yeah. die that's cool. uh, that's something that's i think the hardest for people to recognize the people that are scared to take chances that are scared to live a a risky life mm-hmm. and to do something outside of a boring job that they hate it's they they have they to forget get in their that head. as well you they know they forget, forget. They we forget. we forget that we we go one day and why yeah. why we are living every hour every minute in that work or in that things that you are not loving it then you know it's not good for your health no. certainly for your mental health and it's not good in terms of you know like you living It's not good for your spirit. You are just existing. So you, you know you're not yeah. growing. The thing you want some of that? Thank you, Zo. The thing about life is that you can grow and become a better version. Cheers, brother. Cheers, my man. Thank you. You can become a better version of who you are. <clears throat> 100%. I mean, we're yeah. all look. I'm a way better person than I was decades ago. I'm a better I'm better at life. I'm better yeah. at managing myself, I'm better at doing things, I'm better at getting things done, and it's because of all the various difficult things that I've done yeah. over that time. And some people unfortunately don't get to experience what that feels like because they don't they don't test yeah. themselves enough. They don't they don't reach for things. Yeah. They don't they don't stress their system and try things out and try their find out where their boundaries are and and do like if if i may like did you thought that you would do this kind of in a podcast before like you started and and how did this things like came for you this is just keeping going it's just a i don't know what it is honestly i mean I, people want to ask me as if i had some lofty goal to be like the number one podcast in the world. There's I, no I had no, no goals. But you know what like when I first like 
finish this mission, all my friends were like, names you got to go like to Joe Rogan and all that. And I was like, wow, okay. And then of course, and I, I Googled and, and, and I found out. But again, like for you, it seems like, you're loving this. Yeah. You're enjoying it. I love it. And, yeah. and and that's the whole thing, you know, what we are trying to say to all these people who are listening is simply follow your passion. Well, what I've gotten out of this podcast that I didn't necessarily think that I wanted in my life, I just it just sort of happened, was an education in communicating with extraordinary people. And when someone like you, like when I reached out to you, it's like when we, we started setting this up, I was like, that is exactly the type of person I want to talk to. Yeah. When when Cam told me about you, and then when you <laughs> reached out to me on Instagram, and then I reached out to you, and we started figuring out how to do this and coordinate and make it happen, I was like, this is a ty- exactly the type of person I want to talk to. Aww. That's what this podcast is about. I like, there's so many interesting and extraordinary people out there in the world, and so few people have access to them. But through this podcast, I have been like a... a, a an antenna for all yeah. these folks to I've, I've been able to broadcast all the thoughts and ideas of extraordinary people so so many people get to think the way a person like you thinks yeah or all these other interesting Wait, a lot people of that people in, in, even in nepal listen to you <laughs> yeah it's crazy it's crazy you probably wouldn't have thought but yeah a lot of people in nepal it's number one in 93 countries wow it's nuts <laughs> well done, brother. Well Thanks. done. That's awesome. But the, the, the thing is, it's like it wasn't on purpose. There was no, I still can't believe it. It doesn't make any sense to me. All I do is just still do what i always done. It's like I enjoy talking to interesting people. I'm fascinated by the way people yeah. live their lives and the way they think about things and the knowledge that they've acquired and the way they've developed their, their discipline and their yeah. intellect. That's just always been me though i've always been fascinated wow. by people and how their minds work and i think because that's that's who you are and you try to get like that you know like eagerness yeah like that um keenness and i think that's when you can get like the the the, the great content of the people well and you also uh, you you get better at podcasting like is a conversation and a lot of people are just not that good at having conversations and it's it's tricky to manage you know <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you've talked to people that aren't good at talking. Nah, it's yeah. uncomfortable it's, it's, it's sometimes. Like, yeah, clunky. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. an it's kind of an, a weird art form. Yeah, like when I talk to someone who's a really good conversationalist, it's very thrilling. It's exciting. Yeah. It's like, wow, this is a very enjoyable conversation. Like, yeah. I really like it. And that is uh, that's something that I think people have, for whatever reason, um, not thought of as a skill or as a craft mm-hmm. or as an art. But I, I guess it is, and I found out about it by accident. I mean, I found out about you, the you fact take that the, it's a skill. The, the by information accident. out, and you just like yeah. you know hold that you know, you know, in the conversation. And Joe, you know, like um, the big thing, you know, when when I really like you know decided to come over here. And look, I'm so honest. I was like, you know what, this guy is fucking true. I spoke with. Um, uh, sent a message to David Goggins as well, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> this guy is amazing. I was like, yeah, you know, and uh, but it's been like super busy time, and I'm I sure. was so happy. But again, like you said, you know, my key key messaging was, there's no excuse in life, right? Mm-hmm. We all can make excuse and say, okay, wish I had that. Had I been that, these people have been like, no, you know, like as I said, you know, coming from barefoot. 
not even having a, a 10p in my pocket, you know, forget all that. Today, you know, whatever angle you look, you know, I'm not only you know, have this kind of like su- successful like career and documentary, you know, today, you know, if, if money is something that attracts to you, yes, I'm already a millionaire. So there's no excuse in anything in life. But the key here is follow your passion. Yeah, that really is the key. Find a thing that you love to do. Don't necessarily think just about money because if you have a lot of money but you're miserable, you fucked up. You fucked up. Massively. You want to do what you enjoy doing. And if you do what you enjoy doing and you excel at it and you become excellent, you will make money. Yeah, because like you are like putting so many hours into it naturally. And it's it's that natural training, right? And and also, like a lot of people also ask me, Nims, like you had so much like trouble going into this one, the whole of the project, and how you made this possible. And one thing which I must give credit is, you know, the United Kingdom Special Forces. So the the key point here is the centrality of the mission. And those people who have read the book and who have watched the movie. Obviously, you saw me where I was. I was shot by a a sniper, right? Yeah. And then obviously, I fell down from this two-story building. Well, we, we we talked about that at the very beginning. So the the sniper bullet hit your rifle butt right next to your neck. Yeah. So I was in prone position, laying in the ground. I was spinning in the right in front, like, and then like somebody from this angle, the sniper. Because, you know, like I asked my other colleagues, like, you know, the, the local special forces to come on this roof to have this all-round defense. But it was so hot, you know, the, the bullets were flying everywhere. So those guys got scared and I had to go up in order to, to pin that enemy position so that, that you know, my other assault force can go and take over. So mm-hmm. I went up to, to facilitate that. And then, yeah, next thing I was in the ground and um, obviously I was bleeding from, from my face. And first thing was I was like, oh, names. They say you don't feel the pain when you are like short. So I don't know. So I, I checked my, my jaw and it was there. And then but what people didn't see here going back into the point centrality of the mission is what I did after that. So, of course, you know, my long barrel weapon is is not in use anymore. I was I was asked to leave the fight and go in, in, in the, the, the Kazvag in a helicopter to bigger hospital. And I said, no. And then the reason why I said well, no was the centrality of the mission. This is like, you know, I'm, I'm getting my pistol out. I fought for like six hours just with pistol. And why again? Because I really think that the mission statement is the mission statement. So if I go there just because of I can go, is like there's one less special forces operator in the ground. There's one less set of you know, envisions in the ground. There's one less set of you know, like weapon in the ground. And with that, you know, I may lose my friends because there's not like 360 protection. It's not the full fighting scale. So was and, the and rifle I keep going. destroyed? Yeah. And, then, and man, you know what? And I, I was given my friend's uh, weapon. So that weapon, when I received after six hours, wasn't even zeroed to my eye. Mm. And, and I still remember, man, I was like trying to shoot and I miss it. I was like, oh, it's not my weapon. And I had to add just on the ground and, and, mm. and keep doing. Um, yeah. Mm. But again, you know, that's the reason why I keep fighting is like the, the mission statement. So in 14 picks mission, there were a lot of troubles. Like, you know, the, the, the biggest painful was to me when your own people 
kind of you know like make the mickey out of you and and this the negative thing so i was in this evolution of raising the funding uh, joe and i went there and then it's all the gurkha community and some of them just said yeah you know what this guy is just doing for his fucking name and fame and he doesn't want to do it he just want to climb mountain and he's doing that but they didn't really knew what i was really doing and but it touched me cuz i'm also human right and and i was driving back on m3 motorway and i had tears in my eyes and i was like i was like crying out loud and and cuz at this point i was bursting you know because i had given up this prestigious career i had given up my job i've sold my house pension everything and and i'm trying to do this good thing and people are like my own people are saying that it's a bit too much so i was like bursting in tears and i pull my my car in a, in a layby in a off the motorway and uh, and i was like i was like okay now now what what can i think and i was like you know what nims you said that this project is never about you you said that you wanted to change the world for the better purpose you said that you want to you know shift uh, completely paradigm shift in perception of human potential you said that you're going to give justice to the nepalese climbing community come on how you feel it doesn't matter so that's the centrality of the mission and i wipe up my 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 tears and and i drop down now 18 months later i will tell you this the gurkhas didn't had we don't have the equal equal rights equal pension in the british military even though we have served for so many years okay so the gurkhas have got more vc victoria cross is the highest awarded you know you know bravery medal you can get the gurkha regiment has got more than any other regiment we still didn't have the the, the equal pension so then there was a campaign by our own people the gurkhas that the, the retire you know uh, gurkhas like fighting on number 10 on the parliament saying that hey we need the equal pension and and even to have the debate on parliament you need to have 100,000 of petition sign okay so they have done everything they could and they had only 23,000 petition sign i took over in a week i made that 100k and it's a bigger impact bigger result and and that's from the small perspective and and when people say negative to me in my life joe and what i say is like you know what that's all they can think of because yeah. well you know nobody wants to be bad nobody wants to be that you know you know like negative person maybe he's saying that because that is what he's limited to or she's limited to i'm there who i can think bigger i'm there because i can i can you know i have this different mindset so forget that so i keep those things to the side and and i move forward but again things you know when i say the bigger purpose bigger reason there is there and i i use my my the, the power of social media for the right cause you know like yeah. again i i see how it is and and yeah there's a quote i think it's mark twain he said throughout history great spirits have encountered if encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds yeah and it i think i think that's i might be paraphrasing i might have fucked it up this is it's albert einstein oh is it really oh there you go wow. is that what he says did i say it right great spirits have always faced violent opposition yeah from mediocre minds albert wow. einstein i thought it was uh, mark twain um but that that there, there is something to that man that there's a do you know what crabs in a bucket are do you know no, that expression no if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket 
some crabs will try to get out of the bucket, and as yeah. they're trying to climb, the other crabs will pull them down. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it is. Is Some people that live these timid existences, that live these timid lives and don't take chances and don't... They yeah. don't try to leave a mark. They don't try to do anything extraordinary. They get upset when other people do. Man. Some people get upset at other people's success. Other people celebrate other people's success. This is the difference in a lot of folks. Some people will try to find the negative in people. Oh Other people God. will try to find the positive in people. Yeah. yeah. Like what you did when someone stole your oxygen. You, even though you were lying to yourself, you decided to frame it in a positive way that someone is going to go home to their family that saved yeah. someone's life with that oxygen. This is the, there's patterns of thinking. And some people are, they are a prisoner to their own pattern of thinking and they don't even realize it and maybe they do maybe they know somewhere subconsciously that what they're doing is detrimental to their own existence mm -hmm. but they can't help themselves and then they lash out at other folks they try to find external reasons for why they're unhappy external yeah. reasons why they're bitter so they look to other people that are successful and they try to find the worst aspects of those people <laughs> oh, oh nims is just yeah, doing it like, for himself yeah. he's just wants attention he just yeah. and now now that you've already done it and now that you're you have a gigantic documentary on Netflix, and now that you're here on this podcast, now that the world is getting to hear your story, now they must be very angry. <laughs> and that's well, why, though, you know, like why? I think why can't you know people change this? There's the, a lesson. The there's a lesson in there for everyone else. Those people, whether they realize it or not, they are their failure to reason correctly, to think well in a positive manner. They're 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 a lesson for other people. The observers on the outside get to look at these bitter fools yeah. and go, oh, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Yeah. I see what you're doing. And, There's and, so many people like that, Nims. You just... Yeah, Joe, and you know what, what I really believe in is um, also, like, we're human beings. Nobody's perfect. You, you, you tell me anyone who's, like, perfect. No, even, like, let's say, you know, like, from Albert Einstein to Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, all these greatest people, you name it. There's always people criticizing. There's always oh, people, yeah. right? But, oh, yeah. but why is that? You know, guys, can we not, can we not be like it's a bit open-minded? Now we are at this century. I think we need can. to. No, you can. <laughs> you can and powerful people can and positive people can. But there's always going to be negative people. There's always going to be weak people. Yeah. It's, just, it's just nature, man. Oh, my God. You see yeah. it in chickens. It's a pecking order. There's a weak chicken. The other one's like, they start pecking at the chicken. It's just natural. There's some people that just can't help lash out at other people. And what they fail to realize is the energy that they spend attacking another oh, yeah. person is energy they could have spent elevating their own oh, life. Exactly. Exactly, They're brother. They're stealing from themselves without even realizing Mate, you hit the nail on the head there. That's what it is, man. They Why just... are you focusing on dragging other people, spending so much of your energy, time, and everything when you can actually do good thing for yourself and you can be that another happy person? Because they're trapped in a pattern of thinking where they feel that if someone is excelling past their own personal limitations or past their own personal success, they feel bad because they feel jealous and they feel envious. So what they do is they lash out at that person and they try to find something negative about them. It's so common. Mate. It's it's so normal, but it's 
really they're stealing from themselves because your time and your energy is so valuable and time that you spend worrying about what other people are accomplishing yeah. instead of what I like to do <laughs> is I'm friends with a lot of these people like David Goggins and Cam Haynes and now I'm friends with you and people that do extraordinary things their fuel, their energy, they give you something. By being around these people, you realize that so many accomplishments are possible that people never attempt. Because the, 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 the human condition, the, the human spirit is, is limitless. There's so much a person can do. 100%. And if you spend and your time <laughs> criticizing, you spend your time trying to find the holes instead of like recognizing Focusing the in your, yeah. Yeah, I like I like to compliment <laughs> people I don't even like. I like it's an exercise. People I think are shitty people but they do amazing things. I like to compliment their amazing aspects and for just not really just acknowledge the fact that they're cunts but like say even that, look at all the good stuff that guy's done. He's pretty My. impressive. Yeah. There's value in that. There's value also in for you as a person that you can put aside jealousy and your petty envy and recognize that other people's success does not equal your failure. Yeah. And that you can benefit from other people's 100%. success because it elevates your own ideas of what's possible. My, you you smashed it. And you know what, Joe? The, the big thing what I also realize is once you become successful... The enemies are not from from the outside. The enemies are like from from that circle who who, mm -hmm. who you have been with. Yes, because those are the people who who cannot be you, but they think they can be you. And those people started dragging because they have been hanging around with you, and and they have known you, and mm -hmm. and they don't realize like how much of hard work and the things that you have put together. They don't see that. They're they like don't okay. Care. They're like, oh yeah, I've been with this guy, you know, I know him, I spend now, he's that successful guy, and you know, yes, I could be that, and and, and those are also the people. But you know, the, the, the whole point here is, guys, like, there's so much negativity in this world, but you know what, don't even focus on that. You know, there's a, there's a very famous quote um, saying that, if you're moving from A to B, and there are loads of dogs who are barking at you, if, if you start throwing every dog that, you know, that, that is barking at you, you'll never reach your destination. Exactly. So let them bark. You, let them bark. You, you, you go to your, towards your mission. Yes, sir. <laughs> let them bark. We should end with that. My brother, yeah. thank you very much for coming here. Thank I really, you, Joe, really appreciate you. It's truly been an honor and a pleasure to meet you. The documentary is 14 Peaks. It's on Netflix right now, and it's extraordinary. It really is. It's thank you, brother. It means a lot. I can't wait to see you again when you do something else crazy. <laughs> well, very soon then, my brother, okay. very soon. All right. Well, you're always welcome. Open invitation. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank Bye, you. everybody. Bye.